Hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of the one-on-one podcast. My name is Zorro Daddy, and today I welcome none other than alternative sexuality specialist, certified sex therapist, clinical sexologist with a PhD in clinical sexology, Teddy Con class presenter, Capcon class presenter, wife, keeper of a shelf of stuffed animals, phenomenal soul, friend, and oh, so much more, Dr. Rhoda Lipscomb. Hello, Dr. Rhoda, and thank you for being here. Hello, Zorro Daddy. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, I'm very happy to do it. Now, this episode, it's been in the works for several months, and as we go along, I will explain the reason why that was the case, although Dr. Rhoda herself wasn't aware of this until uh, quite recently, but I'll explain as we go. Now, in this episode, we will get to know who Dr. Rhoda is, what she does, why she is so friggin' awesome. We will hear about her book, which, in my opinion, is a must-read for absolutely everyone. We will hear about her involvement in the ABDL community, her love for all of us crazy crinklers, and I'm going to ask her a few questions you just might want to hear her answers to. If you don't know who she is, you're about to find out why we love her so very much. So, in a one-on-one podcast, we go through a checklist of topics. We offer up some thoughts about each item, and if more conversation is fostered, that's great. But if not, we move right on to the next checklist topic. Now, regardless of our statements, we're going to give our points of view about a topic without attacking each other, even if we don't see eye-to-eye on things. And that's a tremendously important thing right there. Too often nowadays, the way people view others who don't see things the same as them is to view those people in the worst possible light. And now, more than ever, it seems we are polarized with our positions on absolutely every issue. But everyone has a right to an opinion and a right to have their opinion heard. Say what you want to say and do what you want to do, but always own your words and actions. That's the best advice I can offer up. But when it comes to good advice, very good advice that is based on a wealth of research, observation, and a whole bunch of earned letters behind her name, there's Dr. Rhoda Lipscomb. Now, if we think about it, how many times do we as a community get frustrated when we see ABDL misrepresented on talk shows or turned into the brunt of jokes on sitcoms? And how many times do we think, geez, If people only understood a little more of the why, then maybe the WTF wouldn't seem so appropriate to say. But that really hasn't been the case very often, has it? Well, today I present you with someone who has done more than just shed some light on the subject. She has explained it in a manner that shows respect and understanding. And on a regular basis, she communicates with ABDLers. But we're going to get to all of that along the way. All the preliminaries are done, and Episode 9... The Rise of Skywalker, or Insurrection, depending on how you align with the stars, will now begin. And we have got a whole lot to talk about. When I meet anyone, uh, and this is, gosh, it's probably been a good 10 years now that I've met a boatload of of ABDLers, the first thing I always want to know is their origin. Now, Dr. Rhoda, you're not exactly an ABDLer. But I'm wondering if you would be willing to tell us a little bit of the origin of you. Like, what was the weather like on the day you were born? And then take us forward. <laughs> Whatever you would like to tell us. Uh, who are you? 
Okay. Well, I'm not sure what the weather was like. It was it was July. It was probably hot, and since it was Northeast Iowa, it was probably humid. Um, okay. And since my mother had been in labor for 50 hours, I'm sure she was quite cranky. Oh my goodness. Uh, Oh yeah. You didn't go easy on her at all, did you? My God. Uh, no, I swear every year on my birthday, I think I should send her a sympathy card. <laughs> oh, like I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for everything I've done to you. Oh, nice. <laughs> and that was just my birth. You know? Oh my goodness. <laughs> then there was the teen years. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we if we want to go all the way back, yes, I w- I was born and raised in this very small town in Iowa, in the very northeast, most northeastern county in the entire state. And it's a small town of like 3,500 people. And at the time, I, I can tell you, I, I hated living there because, well, one, it was boring. Uh, <laughs> right, and, right. And I felt like somehow the universe had dropped me here. I'm like, I clearly am in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, I, I, I see TV shows with New York City and go, that looks lovely. I should be there. Uh, why am I here? I think somebody made a mistake. So what I was recently graduated from high school, I packed up my stuff. My parents drove me to Minneapolis, Minnesota, dropped me in a hotel room and left me there because I told them to do this. They weren't being mean. Oh, my. (laughs) No, I think my mother cried all the way home. Uh, She just had to leave her oldest daughter in a hotel room in a strange city where she knew no one. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You know, it's great to be 17 because you're brave and you think nothing bad will ever happen to you. Uh, and oh, yeah, they really did, you know, but I was I was brave. And I mean, even now I look back and go, holy crap, how did I do that? Yeah. Yeah. I just figured it all out. And, you know, eventually, after a few years of working, decided, well, you know, it's time now to go to college. Because uh, after working in an office environment for four years, I'm like, mm, yeah, I really need to go to college. Right. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, which is why I didn't start off right after high school. And I went to some class just to kind of help you figure out what you want to do in life. And I somehow decided I wanted to become a sex therapist. I get my PhD and become a sex therapist. Now, like I'm 21 years old, (laughs) you know, so I ended up starting college at 22 and first day of class, you know, the teachers going around asking everybody what they, what they think their goals are and their major. And I, I get up and I'm like, well, I plan to get my my bachelor's in psychology and then go on into a PhD program and I want to be a sex therapist. And people looked at me like I just landed from another planet. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like most things in life, this was not the nice little linear path that I had thought it would be. And I ended up after undergrad, not going to graduate school and and working in uh, clinics like Planned Parenthood for about 14 years, which was a wonderful experience. I learned so much and was very passionate about it. And, you know, I think that's when in life I really started learning about being able to kind of follow my passions uh, was when I did that. And then around 2000, I decided to move to Denver, Colorado and met my husband and we got married and he's like, you know, you know, you could give up this work in a nonprofits for a while. You could maybe go do something else with your life. And so I decided to do that. And unfortunately, first decided to do real estate, which I absolutely hated. Oh, no. <laughs> real estate was awful. I mean, there's, I'm nothing against real estate agents. I, I know I have many friends who are real estate agents who I love and adore. But my problem with real estate is that it was all about the money. I could go to these real estate meetings for my group and all they're talking about is making money, making money, making money. And I'm sitting there going, really, this is, this is your main 
goal in life is just to make lots of money. Like, where's the passion? Where's, the, right. where's the, I can't do this. And, um, so that lasted a short period of time. And I then decided eventually to be like, you know, maybe that whole sex therapist thing was not such a bad idea. So went and got the master's degree. And instead of being like most smart people and going and working for an agency or a group, I just, you know, jumped right into opening my own private practice. Thankfully, I have a wonderful husband who's very supportive <laughs> because otherwise I would have starved. Oh, my. Oh my. Yeah. And then eventually decided to get the Ph.D. And, and along the way was like we'll talk about was, you know, kind of how I stumbled into the ABDL community. And so then, you know, kind of got back to that point in my life of going, I need passion, passion for the things that not everybody else understands. Um, it, it's kind of who I am. I like the things that are unique. I like helping people who often don't have a voice. I think it's kind of my, well, depending on what you want to call it, it's either my mama bear personality or it's as my husband's family refers to me, I'm known as the queen. <laughs> um, and I used to think they referred to me as the queen because they thought I was bossy which I can be a little bossy. Uh, oh, <laughs> anybody my. who knows me knows that. But it's more that it's like they're kind of my people. And I look out for them and I take care of them and I defend them. And it's kind of the same way with the works. The work that I've done in my life that has been the most rewarding for me is I have that kind of passion. They're my people. I look out for them. I defend them. And it's kind of the the same thing. It's It's just my personality. It's just who I am. Wow. Now that is a, um, wow. (laughs) That's an origin story right there. There's a level of altruism to that. You said something in there that like, that really struck the heartstrings right there. Becoming the voice for people who don't have a voice. Like it's such a huge thing. I almost want to say you were tailor made for us. You really were because a lot of folks, there's always the worry. They're like, you know, Gosh, we really want to be understood, but at the same time, we don't necessarily want to be like at the forefront of all the mainstream talk of this and that. And a portion of that has to do with the fact that that some folks have tried. On occasions, some of those talk shows went really well, like the one, and the name of it slips my mind now, darn it, but it had Riley Kilo on it. And Riley did an absolutely fantastic job. Yeah, well, and Riley's wonderful. Oh, I mean, my she's goodness, so yes. well-spoken, and yeah, she's great. Yeah. Um, Some of the I, others, I, they, they didn't quite go so well, we'll say it that way. And then, of course, there was Jerry Springer. Oh. Mako, I'm sorry for bringing up the name Jerry Springer. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of rough, but wow, this is – that adds like 4,000 other things to talk about now. Uh <laughs> But the beginnings, um, the whole reason I contacted you is because I know you. I've seen you at conventions. And how I first found out about you was when I received a phone call from Little Philly, one of them there, TeddyCon creator folks. And Phil says to me, he says, Nate, you got to listen to this podcast episode. And boy, I should know what the name of it was. But I did listen to it. You were a guest on it. And he Mm -hmm. said, I want to get her on an episode of the Crinklecast. Yet another uh, ABDL podcast that happens. So we did. It was uh, it was Little Philly and then Mommy Curry and myself. And I almost want to say we did the Crinkle Cast, and then before we hung up the phone, we were already speaking with you about coming to TeddyCon and speaking. 
Yes. And uh, you would do that. You would also be one of the speakers out at Capcom. You have appeared on the Dream a Little podcast and on the Love and Brief podcast, the Crinklecast, and now this being uh, the 101 podcast. Now, you've been on a bunch of other a bunch of other podcasts that weren't ABDL specific as well, but you've uh, you've certainly gotten your name into the mix of things. And uh, there's a lot that people do know about you, but I wanted to ask you a question, which is the flip of that. What is something that most people don't know about you? And that's a very good question. You're right, because when people see me at TeddyCon or CapCon, they kind of see, like when I'm there, I'm kind of it's like a switch goes on and I'm on. It's yeah. like my stage persona. I am on and I'm on the whole time. Anybody I'm anywhere out where people can see me. What people often don't know about me is that there's this also the side of me that is rather shy and reserved. And when you see me speaking, I know that's very hard to believe <laughs> uh, because I certainly it is actually, she's not lying. It about is because I do not come off as shy and reserved. You put me on stage and I come alive. But you put me in a room of people I don't know, and I literally sit there and look around trying to read the room and figure out who's who and what's going on and how do I react. And really, it shocks people once they get to know me because they just know the side that they see that is kind of outspoken and not afraid to speak up and and, and share what she thinks. And then there's this other side that's a bit shy and reserved and just... Yeah, wants to hold back. I always know at a TC, uh, even though I always have the schedule in my back pocket, because I don't, I'm not really an attendee. I've never been an attendee at TeddyCon. I have been an attendee at Capcom, where I was just sort of there, uh-huh. and one of many. Uh, but at, at TC, I'm not really an attendee. I'm always well, doing something, right? True, you always are. <laughs> so on the move, but uh, and we we have walkie-talkies because there's so much space. I always know when it is almost time for Rhoda's class. It's because uh, somebody gets on the walkie-talkie and sends out an all-call. Whoever is available, please come (laughs) down to the room where we do the classes and help set up. And the reason why it's an all-call is because we have to use every chair in the room to get everybody into the room that wants to attend Rhoda's classes. This, This is how popular these things are. And I am absolutely certain it is uh, exactly the same uh, out in Chicago at Capcom. I remember one year at TC, uh, we had a, the, the classroom was right next to the pool and we put paper over the windows and whatnot. And everybody came in and they sat down. And then we had, <laughs> we had to get more people in the room. We had everybody stand up holding their chair, take a step forward and then another half step. So we could get all the rows as tightly in it. <laughs> that enabled us to get another two or three rows in the back. So when Rhoda is, it has the mic, so to speak. It is a packed house, and yeah, it's never – she could put up – she'd be like, I'm going to talk about uh, coconuts and grapefruit, <laughs> and that room will have people hanging on the rafters just strictly because it's Dr. Rhoda. Let's go. Well, and, I, I would you know. hope they wouldn't pack it for coconuts. and <laughs> Or maybe watermelon, you know, or, or – okay. okay. I, I like grapes myself. Oh, grapes are as good, yeah. <laughs> Well, already, uh, uh, this question, it's, it's essentially, I call it choose one. I've done this a couple of times now and I've sort of pulled the favorite ones from it and I keep hearing from folks saying, that's really neat when you do the choose one thing. Choose one is this. I'm going to give you two things and, uh, choose one. Uh, okay. So you can't have both, but if you had to choose one of the two, which would it be? 
All right, here okay. we go. The first one is Pepsi or Coke. Well, that's easy. That's always Coke. Oh, um, this is why I love Dr. Rhoda Lipscomb. <laughs> I will say there's no wrong answer, but she just picked the right one. <laughs> not that I'm prejudicial or anything. But yeah, and I'm sure many of the listeners are not old enough to remember the Pepsi challenge back in the early 80s oh, when they would have gosh. Coke and Pepsi. and It was a, it was a no-brainer. I'm like, clearly that's Coke. It's better. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. There was a theory about that, that they were trying to get people to pick Pepsi, so they actually took the Coke. And it's a theory. I don't know it to be fact, but they said uh, they took the Coke and watered it down, and people still chose the Coke over it. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was like that. an epic failure. Pepsi's like, Pepsi's like, see, ours will be, you know, chosen, and it wasn't. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but here we go. Let's let's go down the route of a sweet tooth. How about vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Okay. Alrighty. If you are a drinker, here's a few of those: vodka or rum. That would have to be vodka. I'm not much of a rum drinker. You're not a rum drinker? No. At the next TC, <laughs> uh, you tell me the exact vodka drink you want. I am a bartender. <laughs> I will make that for you, and it will be the greatest thing ever. Well, I'm more of a wine drinker these days than I am even vodka. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I switched to wine years ago, and I haven't had much. I, I rarely drink any hard liquor. But if I was going to, I would do vodka. Okay. Well, then the next question was going to be bourbon whiskey or scotch whiskey, but I'm going to switch it up now since you're since you are a fanatic of wine. You like the wine, red wine or white wine? Um, this really makes me sound like a drunkard. It, it depends oh, not on the at time all. of day. <laughs> OK, like if it's the afternoon. I tend to go white wine. If it's evening, I tend to go red wine. OK, now, you know, which then obviously there's afternoon drinking going on. Well, sure. Sure, but hey, on on a day like, you know, like let's say like a Sunday afternoon. Right. You know, like, yes. it, it's, it's not casual. every day. <laughs> I've I've never really been much of a white wine drinker. I would go for like a, a Pinot Grigio or maybe a Moscato. Oh, yeah. I've actually always favored the direction of red and it's Pinot Noir for whatever reason. That one I enjoy. I mean there's oh. others. There's Merlot, there's Cabernet Sauvignon, but the Pinot Noir that's right in the middle, it's not too dry, it's not too sweet. So yes. if I ever go down the route of wine, hopefully there's a, a Pinot Noir nearby. Oh, yes. There are, there are some good Pinot Noirs. Yeah, there are. There are. Particularly from California. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I don't know about this year, though. Well, yeah, that's true. Anyway. Yeah. Pinot Noir is going to go up in price. <laughs> yeah. Just like it went up in flames. Oh, God love them. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. okay, here we go. Sunrise or sunset? Well, I would say sunset just because normally I'm not awake when sunrise happens. And I would agree with you on that one, too. Sunset's beautiful. I'm sure sunrise is as well, but, you know. I, I've heard it's it's lovely. <laughs> Once in a while I see it, but not very often. Oh, that's good stuff. Alrighty, here we go. Here's a bit more, I guess, uh, philosophical, I suppose. Perfect physical health or perfect mental health? Oh, dear. Boy, that is extremely tough. Yeah. If you had to have, if you could pick one of the two. <sighs> Boy, you know, my vanity is going to sh start showing here. Cause, oh, you know, that's, my, that's fine. My, my, and I, I want to, I want to say mental health, but yet there's just other part of me going, Oh my God, perfect physical health forever. <laughs> 
You mean I could have my 22-year-old metabolism forever? (laughs) I might have to pick that. (laughs) Well, okay. Here's the thing. It's like uh, perfect mental health. This was brought up. I think it was Curry who brought it up. Perfect mental health is something, or at least good mental health, maybe not perfect. That's well, yeah. something that can be worked on, you know. Uh, yeah, I can, I can work on you know, mental health if it's a little off, but you know, right. to have perfect physical health and, right. you know, right. the body of my dreams. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm all on board for that. <laughs> right. Well, this next one is going to test your mental health. I put this one in strictly because it's my podcast. Okay, here we go. <laughs> If you had to choose between one of these two, and you can't choose neither, okay? Oh. You have to pick one of them. Are you ready for this? Here All right. Go. Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Oh. Jeopardy theme music playing. Well, I guess it would have to be Schwarzenegger because I cannot stand Sylvester Stallone. Um, and wow. at least Schwarzenegger became governor of California. So clearly he has something going on upstairs. Um, okay. and he was smart enough to marry a Kennedy. So, you know, <laughs> it's true. He did Stallone. I'm like, Oh gee, there, are, there are still battery operated machinery. I no, I have no use for Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I won't give you the Rocky or Rambo question. I'll skip over that one. Oh yeah. No, please God. <laughs> well, okay. Here's another one. That's uh, it's, it's thought provoking. Having more time or having more patience? Hmm, that that is an excellent question. Um, probably more patience. Okay. Yeah. Not that I don't have decent patience, but yeah, having more patience, I think, would always be good. I have a lot of moments in my life um, where I work, or maybe it's setting up a convention or maybe it's it's helping a relative where there's that moment where I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. And then this person's going to say, and I know it's going to happen. I see the, the, the signals coming to me and I'm like, okay, Nate, this is a moment in time to just simply step back and indeed have some more patience. It will pass, you know, mm-hmm. it will pass, but you could make it worse at this moment or you could be quiet, you know, now, th- th- that's an example of of, uh, of something negative. I'm sure there's plenty of positive examples, too. But having more patience is a very good choice for that reason. Yes. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. All righty. Time for sweet tooth again. Cookies or ice cream? And cookie ice cream sandwich does not count. Curry, <laughs> Curry tried to go down that route. I, I stopped. She tra- I can see her trying to go down that. Um, <laughs> Probably cookies, especially for chocolate chip. Oh, I was just getting ready to say which kind. Okay, chocolate (laughs) chip cookies. Wonderful. Now we have a a big final one here. Okay. And I try to put the really difficult ones at the end. (laughs) Here we go. Getting what you want or getting what you need? Probably getting what I need. Getting what you need. You know, okay. Nobody gets everything they want. Right. It's not realistic. But getting what you need is is good. You know, it's like, do I need millions or billions of dollars? No. What would I do with it? Um, other than try and give it away. Right. Um, but if I have enough to feel comfortable and fulfill my needs, I I'm really quite happy. Well, in that sense, and this was offered up. I forget who it was that said it, but some someone in the past, one of the past episodes offered up, if you get what you need, then you most likely are also going to get what you want. Well, that's very true. 
It's not to say that the things that I want aren't what I need. Well, maybe they are. When you have what you need, then you'll you'll have a, a very clear perspective on that. <laughs> I would like to throw one more in there, and this would not be a one-on-one podcast if I didn't ask this question. Okay. I actually auditioned this question in one of the episodes of the Crinklecast with Phil and Curry. Ooh. This has led to some amazing, amazing discussions of opinions. <laughs> and uh, every now and again, they became very impassioned between the guests. Uh, but the question is this. Creamy or chunky peanut butter? You wouldn't think it to be something that's like so provoking, but it actually is. I, I, I'm not sure why. Well, and the weird thing is, like, I don't really like peanut butter, but I like peanut butter cookies. Oh, oh, okay. I, I have I have mm. a lot of very weird food things, which people often tease me about. People who know me, uh, yeah, and and that's one of them. It's like I won't eat peanut butter. But I'll eat peanut butter cookies or I'll eat Reese's peanut butter cups, but not peanut butter. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Well, okay. So you would eat the peanut butter cups, but not peanut butter. I would probably say that what you're eating at that point is likely creamy. However, there is such a thing as chunky peanut butter, Reese's peanut butter cups, and more than likely you would enjoy those as well. I probably would. Yeah. um, I'm covered in chocolate. (laughs) Hey, there you go. With some chocolate chip cookies on top. Sure. While watching a Schwarzenegger movie, but not Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, I was asked by someone when I said, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll have uh, Rhoda Lips going on as, as a guest. I was asked by someone to ask you this question. Ooh. And I've actually researched it a little bit, and I have uh, a couple possibilities of things here in front of me, which I'll get to once I ask you the question. So let me get to okay. that. How <laughs> – how do you take your coffee? Uh, I actually don't drink coffee. Um, oh, wow. It, okay. I tried like 40 years ago, and I was in so much pain that something about the acid in coffee just does not do well with my stomach lining. Oh, wow. Um, so I drink tea instead. And I, I mean, I haven't tried it. Maybe my system's changed, but I still remember how much pain I was in, and I haven't bothered to try. I love the smell of coffee. Okay. Well, I'm totally going to shift this question then because I am in here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, the home of Turkey Hill iced tea. I am the whole reason that company is still going. Okay. <laughs> I chug so much of this stuff. I'm sure it has flavor. I've just never tasted it because the taste buds are numb to it at this point. But <laughs> when you say tea, what do you mean? Uh, a cold tea, a hot tea? Is there a specific kind of tea, like a white tea or a, an orange tea? Um, usually it's hot tea. Hot tea? Um, okay. Um, sometimes it could be black tea. I, I really like some of the Tazo, um, herbal teas mm. that have a little bit of a fruity flavor to them. Um, sometimes I'm not, mixing that with black tea combined is a good mix. Okay. All right. Well, I'm trying to compare it to some of the options they had here for, uh, for the coffee. But for um, specialized coffee, which I guess in this sense – oh, uh, first off, caffeinated or decaffeinated? Oh, caffeinated. Caffeinated. Very good. Very Don't good. Don't tell my cardiologist. No, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it says um, for someone who, who would go for a very specialized type of drink, like I want this drink, but I want uh, this particular thing on it and this particular thing, uh, they are often folks – and this, of course, is just Dr. Oz's opinion – uh, but there are often folks who um, can be 
perfectionists and they're very aware of their health and uh, they also monitor their health. So uh, if you are a health fanatic, this totally makes sense. So folks, if you want to have, and you know how we were talking about mental health there and then physical health. Folks, if you want to have, you know, a great concept of health, <laughs> drink tea. I recommend Turkey Hill. That's for sure. Oh, okay. Turkey, th- this stuff is like insanely unhealthy though. Like they, uh, they even know like, um, Lancaster General Hospital, that's the main, you know, uh, medical facility in the county. Uh, there are patients who are checked in there for different reasons, obviously this year, but on a regular basis, they have a higher amount of people going in there with kidney stones. And the reason why is because that's what Turkey Hill iced tea causes. I'm sure it's, it wouldn't cause it in moderation, but because of ding dongs like me who chug it, like, you know, sure. like if, if I could take this stuff intravenously, I would do it. <laughs> it, it it's an obsession. It's horrible. Well, clearly you haven't had any kidney stones from it because one kidney stone would make you swear it off No, I, I'd be swearing off forever, and I'd probably be swearing for real, too, I'm sure. Oh, yes, you would. If uh, that episode of, uh, of Seinfeld was accurate when it happened to Kramer, who oh, I don't want to go through that. Oh, it's – yeah, kidney stones are incredibly painful. Oh, my goodness. I think I've had them once or twice, and oh, they were bad. Oh, not good stuff. Well, okay, speaking of uh, – we could call it possible obsessions – uh, you mentioned you moved to Colorado. Yes. And you I've still been here 20 years. OK, so you're still in Colorado. OK. I, Being as uh, I am a fan of the current Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, th- there is a team, a football team in Colorado, in Denver. They are one of the direct rivals of Kansas City. They are the Denver Broncos. So my question to you is now having been in Colorado for 20 years, are you a Denver Broncos fan? Uh, you know, I'm not really a football fan. I've married into a, a Bronco football family. Oh, um, okay. To give you an idea of how big a fans, especially my husband's late parents were, their youngest son a few years ago, quite a few years ago, um, was getting married. And his wedding was the exact same day as the Broncos first preseason game we're not talking a regular we're talking a preseason game oh my goodness oh and they at their son's wedding reception did not stay for the meal even though they're the parents of the groom but they took their plates and went upstairs to a big screen tv so they could watch the broncos (laughs) preseason game this is how big a broncos fan they were and and everybody else in the family like i'm horrified i'm like oh my god this is your son's wedding reception and you're leaving to go watch a football game and my husband just looked at me and goes don't go there just yeah don't go. right it, it's whew. that yeah, is a, I, was, whew. I was livid I was that's so a little crazy well wow. yeah because they could have recorded it you know it's like <laughs> they were recording it oh for crying out loud it's the worst part <laughs> oh my god I just always say I'm glad that they didn't decide to do that at when during my wedding because <laughs> I would not have held my tongue. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, well, you folks, when did you get married? What year? Um, 2001. Oh. Uh, two and a half weeks after 9-11. <laughs> oh, dear heavens. Gee oh, whiz. Yes. yes oh. in, Las, in Las Vegas. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. It, it, yeah, it was an ordeal. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah, was great. I, it was great. We had the whole city to ourselves. Oh, anyway, gosh. 
Well, I, I was going to say the Broncos won back-to-back Super Bowls in the late 90s. John Elway was their big hero. Oh, yes. I'm sure you know of that guy, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that was 97 and 98, and then he retired. So there was a couple years there where the Broncos were uh, sort of rebuilding and finding a new identity, I guess I'll say. That's a kind way of saying that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's I have to be kind about it because as the Broncos were having trouble, the Chiefs were having a great time, you know. Well, yes. Yes, and since our last Super Bowl win when we had Peyton Manning, we are oh. still rebuilding and finding ourselves. That was the only time in my life that I, I – I had a dilemma to me there because, like, I've always liked Peyton Manning. That I was like, no, no, he's not going to the Broncos. Come on. Now, so I actually – there was a lot of games I watched where I hope Peyton won, but maybe not necessarily the Broncos won. Of course, that can't happen. Yeah, but, that would be a little challenging. Yeah. Peyton, this is like one of the greatest field generals of all time, and arguably many people speak of the greatest quarterback, but this guy was just awesome all the way around. So I was happy to see the Broncos win, especially since the Chiefs weren't going to win that year. Because yes. if the Broncos win, that means Peyton gets another ring. Yes. And that was an awesome And, and I have to say, I was very happy to see the Chiefs win last year. I, I was definitely rooting for them. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's yeah, been – they haven't been there in – 50 years. years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> had so many tough years. And, and they did so well last year. I, I just I was so happy to see them win. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's very exciting times, especially since the Raiders, another team that the Broncos and Chiefs have to play. They're now in Las Vegas. So everything's sort of. I, yeah, I know. It's a unique season already, just by nature of everything in the world right now. Oh, yes. So it's. um. There's nothing boring about it. That's for sure. Uh Yeah. Well, okay. There's a question coming up here. I'm, I'm suddenly going to have to change based on your answer from above, and I'll explain that when we get to it. But prior to that, here's the next question. Uh, what's the last thing you thought about last night before you went to sleep, and what is the first thing you thought about this morning when you woke up? Oh, boy. I, I'm i trying to remember what the last thing I thought about before I went to sleep. Um I, you know, I, I truly have no idea. Um, other than I think I was just, I've had a few nights in a row of not sleeping well during the night. So I'm thinking my last thought was probably, oh, I, oh, I really hope I sleep the night tonight. Right. <laughs> so I'm guessing that was probably my last thought. Okay. Um, my first thought in the morning was that, um, I woke up about eight o'clock this morning, which is Saturday, so that, that was not that unusual. But I roll over, and nor- my husband is somebody who normally gets up early in the morning. He's an early riser. I'm most definitely not. So normally on a Saturday, if I sleep till eight o'clock in the morning, he's gotten up and left the bed. Okay. Uh, and I rolled over, and he was still in bed. And my first thought was. Wow, the cat actually let you sleep until eight o'clock this morning. Because normally <laughs> our cat, while she will not bother me at four or five in the morning, she jumps up and she starts sticking her paw in his face. I love it. Oh, I love it. You know, or she licks his <laughs> ear or she licks his eyebrow or, you know, you know, she's kind of like puts her paw in his face like, Dad, Dad, wake up, wake up, Dad. I could sleep till 10 o'clock in the morning. She'll just sit there on the end of the bed going, are you ever getting up to feed me? Oh, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. All right. The next question, I'm trying to figure out a way. Okay. I'm going to tell you what the question was because you gave me an answer in the choose, choose one section that 
uh, stumped me a little bit. And I'll tell oh, okay. you why. The question was going to be this. <laughs> what is your favorite Sylvester Stallone movie? <laughs> so, of course, I have to change that. Let me yep, just really. drop let, let, let me drop the words Sylvester and Stallone. Uh, oh. Do you have a favorite movie? And what would that movie be? Um, you could say Rocky. Yeah, I don't know. Right? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, my favorite movie of all time, and I, I know at the moment with the social unrest in the country, it's it's not PC to say. Um, but I mean, my favorite movie of all time is Gone with the Wind. I love, I uh, love Gone with the Wind. Um, yeah. but probably my favorite movie that I've watched the most recently that my that we will often on a Saturday night, just be like, oh yeah, throw that DVD in again, hmm. um, is, the, is The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, very good. Oh, I, I often am like quoting lines from The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. And, and my favorite lately is how I'm so disappointed that the United States has decided to become an incubus of viral plague, oh, <laughs> which, is, which is one of the lines about her assistant becoming an incubus of viral plague because she got a cold. Right. <laughs> That was uh, Meryl Streep has uh, she has uh, redefined herself a great many times, and she's someone where they think, oh well, she's too old, you know, she's over the hill, she's done. No, then she comes back and does Mamma Mia, oh, or she hits yeah. the nail on the head every time. Uh, and that was so also a very young Aunt Hathaway, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the I think it was, it was pretty young. She yeah, pretty- and, and then she would she would rise through the uh, through the stratosphere. Yeah, boy, that's a good choice. I would throw mine in there to be the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, that is an excellent movie. It's all because of that ending, and I I won't give it away, but this amazing thing happens, and they show, hey, you know, this person has just accomplished this thing, and you're shaking your head. You're like, I just watched this whole movie. How is that possible? But then the movie goes back and shows you how the guy pulled it off. Oh, right. And I'm sitting there the whole time. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen in my life. It's mind-boggling. Because all the clues were there throughout the movie, you just didn't pick up on it. So it's I'd throw that one out there. Um, I don't want to say that Stephen King is a fetish for me. Because <laughs> the thing is, I'm not really into horror, but this guy, he did that. He did The Green Mile. These are amazing movies. He, he is a master. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Along the lines of um, things fetishy, I suppose, uh, if you're comfortable with answering... Uh, what is it that you yourself are into in, in sort of a, a, a less than vanilla sense? Do you have interests of that nature? Um, I do. I do. Um, I, I mean, often I've, I've mentioned it when I've been speaking at like Capcom and Teddy Con and, um, you know, my husband and I have been swing, we've had an open marriage and been swingers for more than a dozen years. Uh, and one of our, we, we're very fortunate we have a, one of the best, swing clubs in the whole country here in, in the Denver area. Mm. Um, of course that we haven't been there since the beginning of March because right. It's no, a viral so plague. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but one of our favorite things is uh, actual swinger cruises. Oh, no kidding. Really? So like it's, it, you take over an entire cruise ship. So we have been on cruises. We've been on five so far. We were supposed to do two this year, but they both got pushed back to next year. You know, we're, you're talking a ship of anywhere from two to 4,000 swingers. Wow. Um, 
yeah, my my very first TeddyCon, somebody came up to me, and you know, and everybody's just walking around, they're doing their thing, they're dressed how they're dressed, right? And, right. and this person looking at me and realized that I wasn't an ABDL, and and he's like, this has got to really be freaking you out. Ah, I love it. Are you? And somebody said that him, to you. <laughs> I just looked at him like, honey, I, I've been on a swinger cruise with four thousand swingers. This is nothing. I'm a, the, you cannot shock me. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, if you think this is crazy, like, when you said a, a swingers cruise, I'm going to tell you the, the image that came into my head. And it's probably not accurate. But, you know, when we say an ABDL convention, there's images people get that aren't oh, accurate either. right. Yet some of them are. When you said swingers cruise, I envisioned a ship of naked people. Just like, just walking all over the place, all, you know, right. all up on the deck. And I'm willing to bet some of that takes place with the bold folks but likely that's not necessarily the case or is it or is it no you like you can't walk around naked on the whole ship like you can like on this on the pool deck you can be naked uh but you can't be walking around the halls certainly not in any of the dining rooms oh i'd hope not oh my goodness no you know like in most of the ship you have to be clothed um you know they have playrooms and of course you can be much less than closed there. Right, um, right. But yeah, it's, it's not nearly what people usually think it is. Um, it's, it's not quite the giant orgy. <laughs> um, though, right. a, a, don't never knock a great orgy. Hey, but, you bet, you bet. You know, I, <laughs> but, but they're also not as easy to come up on as one thinks. Like getting that many people to all click at the same time and be in the right mood. It doesn't happen as easily as you think it would. Right. Unfortunately. Even when it's real life, I mean, the joke is always when you look for somebody online, you've got a picture and a paragraph. Well, if it's in real life, well, okay, that picture is a real person and the paragraph is what they say. But it it still doesn't necessarily mean, you know, hi, my name's Nate. Hi, your name's Gina. Let's go. No, it doesn't work like that. There's a whole – there's a human element there that – There's know, very much a human element. Right. Yeah. That regardless of, of, of any you know specific flavor of ice cream that you like, that can't be skipped over. I kind of want to say that to folks sometimes. It's like I have this phrase, and I wish I could find a more positive way to put it. Actually, maybe you can help me. I don't know. What I like to say to folks, particularly folks that um, are new to the community or folks who are younger – and when I say younger, I mean like 20, 21, <laughs> like barely into this thing, right? Sure. I'll get I'll get messages from them and they'll give me this big long thing of you know, here's the kind of daddy I'm looking for and they give me so many specifics. They're not even necessarily asking me to be their daddy. They're just saying a lot of times, do you know where I would look? And sometimes I sure. think, you know, I I admire the fact that you gave me all that info. You could have started with that question and I'd be like, yeah, let me give you a bunch of resources. But the thing is when you have this big long list like you've chopped so many people out of it. Exactly. You know, and I, I always offer up a thought and the thought is, do you want the dynamic or do you want a dynamic relationship? Because there is a difference between the two and you really need to know what that difference is before right. you try to pursue it. If you're somebody who just wants the, you know, big and little connection with someone. OK, that's not a relationship. It is in a sense. It is a dynamic. But when somebody says, hey, I'm looking for. You know, to have this sort of element in in my relationship, what it means is that's a part of it. That that means 
that uh, you know you wake up in the morning and you're wondering why the cat is on your husband's face. That means you know uh, you're, you're trying to figure out uh, where the money's going to come from to get the you know, struts put on the back of your car. Like it means all of these things. It yes. is a relationship that includes the dynamic. If you want the whole relationship, that's something you need to say. But if you don't, it's even more important to say that if you're just looking for the dynamic. Absolutely. I yeah, I know that's... it sounds negative saying it that way, but. I no, I don't think so at all. I think that's I think that's very well said because you're right. A a great relationship is not what often people think it's going to be. Um, I tell people often when I'm working with couples that it's you know it's easy to meet someone you like. It's even somewhat easy to meet someone you you love, but but then being able to live with them. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the hard part. <laughs> right when they're not put together when they're. Stumbling yeah. around, you know, yanking the, the sleep out of their eyes, you know, is that something that's that's still a part of it? And hopefully the answer is yes for folks who embrace that. That's a good thing. Uh, but embracing, okay? You see how I do my fun little segues? <laughs> <laughs> embracing. Embracing is something that the ABDL community has done to you. And there's many reasons why, and we're actually going to start getting into them now. But before we start plowing into that, and I have the book in my left hand as we speak. And I'm left-handed, just like Sylvester Stallone, I might add. Oh, <laughs> okay. uh, The question is this. How did you find the ABDL community? How was it that uh, – how did you stumble across that? Or did it stumble across you? I would say it stumbled across me. Oh, um, okay. The official story is that when I was – I had finished my master's degree and I was doing some um, supervision work to get licensed and um, had worked with somebody who had been my supervisor and I finished that. And then he had asked me to help him with a supervision class to kind of like assist him. And so it was the supervision class for people he was teaching who, you know, already had master's degrees and were working as therapists. And so I'm sitting there with him and this woman um, shares a story of a a particular couple she was working with. And, the male half of the of a female heterosexual couple, um, he had a diaper fetish, mm. and she's talking about um, their case with the group, and very quickly it became obvious that she thought this couple was ridiculous. She thought this man was ridiculous. Oh my! Uh, and it was like she was almost trying to get all of us, you know, to be like laughing at this ridiculous person who she was seeing in her in her mind i mean it was just it was blatantly obvious that that was her opinion and i'm sitting there and i'm waiting for the person who had been my um, clinical supervisor to say something profound to her like clearly it sounds like you have a bias here clearly maybe this is not someone you should be working with maybe this would be better off to refer this couple to someone else who doesn't have the same bias or blah, blah, blah. Something, you know, brilliant and wonderful. I have no idea. I don't remember what he said. Unfortunately, it wasn't something brilliant and wonderful like that. And I remember sitting there the whole time thinking, I should really interrupt and say something because this is just so unbelievably inappropriate. And I'm stunned that no one else is saying this. And I'm just, I'm waiting for somebody to sit there and go, oh my God, this is so inappropriate the way you're presenting this. And then they, 
went on and started talking to somebody else and it was like my moment had passed. So now for me to say something was going to be incredibly awkward. Wait a minute. You, you mean you, you were waiting for that moment and nobody ever actually said? No. Oh my gosh. Like I'm waiting for somebody. Like these are all professionals. I'm waiting for somebody to say how inappropriate this was. And nobody said anything. And then they just went on and I'm going, but, but wait, wait. Right. Crap. Wow. And I, I didn't say anything. And it haunted me. Like it absolutely haunted me. I, I would think about it in the middle of the night for, oh, I bet a year after this, maybe even more. And thankfully, the universe gave me an opportunity to redeem myself because I felt incredible guilt that I had never said anything I'm like, oh, my God, this poor man is being seen by this woman who's completely inappropriate for him. I have no idea what she, he is. She is telling this couple and, oh, this is terrible. It's a horrible, terrible thing. And I'm a terrible person for not saying anything. And I was, I was absolutely guilt ridden for about a year. And in January 2010, I had this new person come into my office and it took him probably two or three sessions before he really told me what he was there for. You know, at first he was like, well, I'm not happy in my marriage and my boss is kind of a little unhappy with me because I get really angry at work with my coworkers and I send out these flaming emails and he feels I have an anger issue. And, and after about three or so appointments, he's like, well, he looks at me one day, he kind of bows his head like he's a little bit embarrassed. He's like, well, it's not really why I'm here. I'm like, okay. He's like, well, I really like wearing diapers. Oh. And, he, and I'm like, okay. And he goes, well, can you fix me? Oh, and no. Oh. And I'm like, oh, Right. I I didn't say, oh, sweetie. I was probably thinking, oh, sweetie. I, I never say that to my clients. I, I right. often think it, but I, <laughs> right. I try right. to be more professional than not say it. But I looked at him and I'm going, well, you know, and at least I was smart enough to know, you know, fetishes are not something that go away. You cannot change them, you know, you know. And so I kind of went on this whole thing about, you know, well, it's just a fetish and, and fetishes there's not they're not a big deal it's like you're not harming anyone else and it's not going to go away and like our psychology is a terrible history of doing things to people to try to make things like that go away like you know lobotomies and right electroshock therapy and lots of other horrible things and and they never really worked so that's that's really not appropriate however and i looked at him i said even if i could make it go away like i had the magic pill would you really want it and he says have there any thought for a second and he goes well no i'm like exactly yeah like, you like this you 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 get benefit from this you there's part of it that you enjoy you wouldn't really want me to take it away from you even if i could but what we can do is we can help you understand it and we can help you accept it and feel less embarrassed and ashamed about it. And he's like, well, have you ever worked with someone? I'm like, well, no, but we'll figure it out. And we did. And yeah, and that was, that was the start. And I learned a lot from him. I mean, I really cut my teeth on him, so to speak. Um, um, and, and I saw him for many, many years and, 
um, that he took a break for two or three years. And actually recently he kind of came back again because um, the stresses of the pandemic were a bit much for him. Sure. So he actually came back. So um, I saw him and then I saw a second person, and a third person. At the time I was in my doctoral program and, you know, I was having to figure out what I wanted to do for my dissertation topic. And originally I was going to do something completely different. And I'm standing in my office one day and I like I had a space of time and I was thinking about my dissertation topic. And I went, you know, you spend all this time researching this and and it, a, a dissertation takes you into a very narrow focus of something like a particular topic in this very narrow, you know, deep focus of it. And often you can become known for that particular subject. And I was thinking about the subject I'd planned to do. And did I really want more of that coming into my office every week? Right. Right. And all I could think of is like, I would rather stab myself in the eye with a fork than have more, <laughs> more of that coming into my office. Oh no. Um, and then, well, if I don't want to do that, what, what would I like more coming in? Like, who are the people on my schedule who I see who I'm really happy to see them on my schedule? Like I'm looking forward to seeing them. And at this point I had like three ABDL people and I'm like, I love seeing them. I look forward to seeing them every week when I see them on my schedule. Like I would love to have more of that. And then I started thinking about it more. I'm like, there's really very little written about this. Like, that would be a good thing to write about and to study. And, and, you know, and so, and then at that point it was just, I knew that had to be it. I could think of, wow, (laughs) no more fantastic way to launch into discussion of the book. That was a great setup. That was great. And the thing is, as you were explaining all that, I was like, Oh, that's why she wrote this book. Not only that, but also the dissertation, um, I do not have the name of this thing in front of me, but it's like this crazy long name. This folks, this lady wrote her dissertation about us. She could have written it about anything with the exception of of Sylvester Stallone, anything but Stallone. (laughs) And she chose us. That's huge. And and she has actually counseled individuals, uh, you know, some there on a regular basis. That's why she wrote this book. And I'm li- we're literally going to start talking about it now, but I have one quick question to throw in there right in front of that. Okay. You have attended and spoken at numerous Capcons and Teddycons at this point for several years. Mm-hmm. What was something that surprised you? Something that either surprised you or something you weren't expecting perhaps to see or to experience when you first went to these conventions? Because the, those two conventions, that's the two big ones, um, they, they have similarities. You know, whether the two conventions want to hear that about themselves or not, <laughs> uh, they do have similarities, but they also have things that make them very unique. All that being said, you, someone who has attended both, what was something that uh, that kind of shocked you a little bit or surprised you? Yeah, and I I don't know if it was a shock or a surprise, but it's a thing that I always notice about them. And, and, and I, I TeddyCon was my first big convention. Um, before I went to Capcom, but I see it at both of them. They both have the same thing in common. And that is because, you know, often when I'm seeing people in my office, you know, we're dealing with their, you know, their acceptance and their shame and their embarrassment and, you know, all these big, heavy topics. And so I don't always see 
this kind of real happy look necessarily on their faces. I mean, at, at mm. times I do, but you know, it's, we're talking about heavy stuff sometimes. Oh yeah. And oh, the, yeah. the thing that I was absolutely blown away by was how happy and how friendly everyone was at these big conf- conventions. Yeah. It's, you know, for three or four days, people get to completely let go of all of the the ways that they hide themselves in the world. And they get to just be themselves. They get to wear what they want to wear. They get to walk around with their stuffed animals or, you know, whatever makes them happy. And that the looks on people's faces is my absolute favorite part about going to the big conventions. And I, and I often tell people when, when I'm trying to get them to go, because sometimes I'll have people in my office. I'm like, you really need to go to one of the big conventions. You need to go to TeddyCon. You need to go to CapCon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they're like, oh, but I won't know anybody. I'm like, it will not matter because first of all, you are going to be able to relax and let go. And people are so friendly and they're so welcoming. By day two, you are going to have met somebody that you like, somebody that you feel some sort of connection to. And it's almost always true. Like whenever I tell somebody that when they come back, um, last year I had a couple who I was working with and, um, I'd worked more with him than her, but you know, like initially, I mean, they'd been married for almost a year before she found out and, yeah, it was it was a little challenging and she wasn't sure if she could handle it and she's kind of shy anyway. And so they decided to go to Capcom and they're very, very nervous, very anxious. And I kept saying, just go like if you need to go back to your room for a while, go take a breather and then come back. But just go. Trust me, you're going to love it. By day two, they were actually by the end of day one. <laughs> They were, yeah. they had met, they had made friends. They were so into it. They were going to everything. Um, it, it completely changed their marriage. Um, completely changed it in a good way, in a very good way. And yeah, they were so thankful. They're like, Oh my God, I can't thank you enough for convincing us to go. I'm like, yes, I, I'm glad you saw it because it, it will make such a difference. It's true. It really is an environment that is unique to all others. Like, yeah, some folks like and you'll meet somebody you'll you you will. It doesn't matter what it is. Go to Chicago. Go to Chicago. Go to uh, go to Capcom. Go to TeddyCon. Uh, West Coast Jungle Gym. Uh, they're thinking of doing one in Orlando coming up here. Uh, some more like some smaller regional things. Go to these things. And I uh, because I'm a night owl. Also because I'm nighttime security at the thing. Like I walk around and I see people sitting there on the couches. And uh, these are two people that uh, seem to be the polar opposite in pretty much every regard, except for the fact that they're both wearing diapers. And they're talking to each other. It's 4.15 in the morning. And I was, I was like, well, this is too cool to pass up. So I sit down. And my gosh, they really don't have much of anything in common. But they're getting along, they're getting along in a manner that uh, – all but brings tears to my eyes. Now, at that point, my eyes are dry. It's 4.15 in the morning. <laughs> but it's true. You go to this thing, like, I don't know anybody. Well, that's true, but that's only going to be for, like, five minutes. Because you have, you do have folks coming up. Go to the crafts. I, I can speak more intelligently about the, 
the content at TC, but I've been to five or six Capcons over the years. Go to some of these gatherings uh, where you have a lot of people there. Go to Dr. Rhoda Lipscomb's class. You're going to have tons of people that are all around you. Go to to the, the spread of uh, Tykeables out there and uh, Little Kink Boutique, who will also appear at TeddyCon. Go to the ABU stand at TeddyCon. Uh, any number of things. Just go into the play area. There's tons of people in the ball pit waiting to meet you. Exactly. And, and it's a wonderful thing. And and Rhoda's right. Like you can let your hair down. Or for people like me who don't have any hair, you know, like you can relax, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It's and, amazing. And you don't experience. have to worry. Like I've I've seen seventy year old men in these pretty pink frilly dresses. Oh yeah. And, oh yes. yeah. And I've seen Guys walking around in a diaper and booties, and it doesn't even look the slightest bit weird. Like I'm just like, wow, you're yeah. really rocking that diaper. There is one guy at TC. He's been there several years. I think he has been out to Chicago as well. I won't say his name, but this guy lifts, lifts weights. He's probably tail end of his forties, so he's got he's got the Hulk Hogan complex going on there. This guy is muscle bound, and he mm-hmm. walks around in nothing but sneakers socks and a diaper that's it you're like you walk by and there's like these biceps like bulging out at your face uh, that and the guy's in nothing but a diaper you've got that you, you got some folks who have all the bells and whistles and the accessories and the you know oh, the accoutrement yes. and everything in between from young to old it's all encompassing of the community and it's an absolutely awesome thing i cannot uh, encourage people enough take a look at teddy con um and also take a look at Capcom. I can speak now. Uh, we are recording this in October of 2020. I'm now dating the episode. But I state that to to also announce that TeddyCon has just now officially put out the announcement that there will be a TeddyCon 2020. It's in a new location. And it's, uh, the, I want to say, the first week weekend of November, if I'm not mistaken. 2020 or 2021? Oh, I'm sorry. November of 2021. My apologies. Okay, I was like, wait, what? Yes. Capcom, I can't speak for absolute truth, but I have heard that they are looking at doing a convention in 2021, maybe not in the spring. They're thinking of maybe holding off and going a few months later uh, just to allow everything to hopefully get a little little more back to normal within the world. So all of these events are waiting for you. And if you think about it, while it's great that you've, you know, listened to podcasts and watched a bunch of commercials from Geico and. Oh, I don't know. Maybe read a few ABDL books along the way. I'll pimp myself. Uh, while you've had all this time this year to do it, uh, all of these great things are coming back. They're not happening in the next couple of weeks or months, but rest assured, no. we're not going anywhere. And this would be a wonderful opportunity uh, to really go to them. It's not all that hard. I live in Lancaster. It's no, I'm, I'm a road tripper, so I love driving 14 hours to Chicago. But there are ways to get there. You can fly into those airports. Where uh, TeddyCon is happening this year, it's in Scranton. So there's the Scranton airport you can fly into. There are ways to get – you can go to the West Coast Jungle Gym, and I don't know what that is, is it, if it's San Diego or whatever. But there are it ways – It was San Diego. It was San Diego. Like you can get to all of these things. There are ways to do it. You can carpool. You can split costs. I, I say all this to uh, to enable people to eliminate all the reasons as to why they can't do it. Yes. Ultimately, you'll get down to the one reason that you do want to do it. It's because you want to go. And people, it's waiting for you. It is. And the conventions grow. Both of those conventions, uh, Capcom and TeddyCon, and I'm sure West Coast before too many more years, they've taken over the entire hotel 
There's nothing but crinklers going all over the place. And it's all us in these buildings. They have overflow hotels. It's growing, and there's all of these people waiting to meet you. And that that sense of family, I recall uh, the first CapCon I went to was 2012. That was their second year of doing it. And I walked in, and I was like, oh, this is this has just got family written all over it. You do feel like a family that only gets together one, you know, one weekend a year, you know. But uh, all that awaits you, and I cannot encourage you. Get onto FetLife. Get onto those groups. Um, hop onto my website, zerodaddy.com. There's, type in those those search words, and you'll get all sorts of articles of memories from the past. Not to mention, Rhoda Lipscomb will be at both, and you want to hear her speak. But you also want to want to read what she has written, and that leads to uh, the book that she put out. What what year did you put this book out? Um, was it 2018? 2018. Thank Tw- you. 2018. Having a moment there. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I I tried to think. I thought about it and thought about it. I was like, how do I give an introduction to this book? Because there's so much in it. The book it's it's not an insanely long read, but it's also not short, which is really cool. It's 170 some pages, so it's not. You don't have to like make a commitment to Shogun, you know, to read that book to yeah. get through this. But this thing is so chocked full of information, it will take you a while to process it, and that's a good thing. And I decided the best way I could give an intro, because I literally finished reading this book two days ago, and I'll get into the reasons of why for that here in a moment. But first, if I could give an intro to this book, um, name of the book is No More Hiding, Permission to Love Your Sexual Self. And No More Hiding, I'll just wing it. It's a book that walks you, it walks you through the process of acceptance of you and of how you feel. It is a guide of self-empowerment and it gives you so much information that you will have more to think about than you even knew was there to think about. It's an exploration that's not just of sexuality, but also of you. You were mentioning that guy uh, when you asked him, do you want to get rid of the fetish? He's like, well, no. I think a lot of times that has to do with here is how he uh, was made to feel or how he allowed himself to be filled, uh, how, how he allowed himself to feel about it. This book addresses that. Fetishes are discussed, ABDL being one of them. Kinks are discussed, ABDL also being one of them. There's testimonials from at least, oh gosh, I'd say at least a dozen folks who Rhoda has counseled or or had conversations with. And it gets even better. But wait, there's more, right? Throughout throughout this book, there are quick writing exercises she has you do that enables you to personalize every single word that she's written so that it relates to you. You're not just reading a book about some stuff that doesn't mean anything. You can relate it to yourself. She enables you to personalize this book. Yeah, she speaks of sexuality and she speaks of what works for you. But never once does she tell you what works for you, and that's really important. She simply places before you all the information you will need to make that decision for yourself. And I cannot encourage people enough. Now, this is going to be in the you know the links and everything that are attached to this thing. But if you wanted to get on Amazon right now, it'll be to you in two days, right? Get on to <laughs> Amazon.com and look under Rhoda Lipscomb, R-H-O-D-A, Lipscomb, L-I-P-S-C-O-M-B. You type that name in. This book is going to pop up. Name of the book is No More Hiding, Permission to Love Your Sexual Self. I'm holding a paperback copy, but it's also available in Kindle ebook. And let's say you folks are like, you know, 
I can't have a paperback. That'll leave a paper trail, and I don't have a Kindle. That's quite all right. You get on to uh, – there's, there's other ways to find it online. You can Google on how to find the Kindle app. This is a free application you can download right to your phone. You can also find it on my website. There's links there that will take you to it. Let's say you have an Apple iPad, but you want to read this book. Download the Kindle app, then you can get onto Amazon, and you can be reading Rhoda Lipscomb right on your iPad. You can be reading Rhoda Lipscomb right on your phone. That way it's something that you can keep private to yourself. And, and I'll, I'll speak some more about that. But um, after that long babbling bit there, I, I wanted to ask you this, um, but I think you've kind of answered it already. The question is, how did this book come to be and what made you decide you were going to write it? And I'm going to thank you in advance of your answer because this is awesome. How did it come to be? How did you decide this is what it is? This is what I'm going to write. I think a big part of it was, you know, the universe does weird things. For many years, my husband had been working in a corporate sales job and he you know, financially did well. And I didn't, my practice didn't need to make any money. Like I didn't need to have a salary. I, you know, I made enough to go on to whatever trainings I wanted to go to or conventions and uh, you know, I had a little money I could send to my aging mother and you know, stuff like that, but I didn't have to have a salary. Well, then about four years ago, there was a layoff in his company. He was one of the people who got laid off. Oh. And he bounced back quickly, found another job very quickly. But of course, it was at like 25% less money. Oh. And which was still like enough for us to be okay. But that was what started that ball in my head of like, Okay, honey, you have a PhD. You really need to start making some money. <laughs> like, like, your husband has a bachelor's degree and makes far more money than you do. There's something wrong with this picture. No. Uh, you need to do something about it. So, uh, a friend of mine who had been working with this amazing business coach, and I went to one of her workshops and was just blown away. She's a dynamic woman. So I started, I hired her and started working with her. I'm like, I have to learn how to be a better business person, make more money. I've got to grow things. And, you know, one of the things she was talking about was writing a book and she had this whole process of how you do it. And I'm like, great, but you know, I've been thinking about writing a book for years. I mean, what am I going to write about? Everything's been written. Like, there's nothing I can write about. I mean, everything's been done. And she <laughs> looks and was like, nothing's been done with your perspective. Oh, like, okay. That's good. That's good. This is why I hired you because you're good. <laughs> you're good. Yeah. Uh, and so I started thinking about it. It was a few months of kind of working on it. And finally, I, it just hit me one day. I'm like, you know, what do people come to me for? Well, they come to me for these very unique things. There's the ABDL people. There's the open relationship people. There's the BDSM people. There's the kink people. It's like, they all kind of find me and, and what's the same thing I'm doing with them? Well, I'm helping them understand it. I'm giving them permission to explore it. It's all the same stuff, really. I'm like, well, there's a lot of people in the world who, you know, like we don't live in a society that gives us as humans permission to just be ourselves. We're all taught we're supposed to be these things that we think we're supposed to be. And particularly women get it a lot, but men get it too. And I see so many people. I live in one of the southern suburbs of Denver and oh my God, especially in the suburbs, there's so many people who are trying to pretend to be who they think they're supposed to be. 
Uh, right. And are miserable. Yep. They're miserable. Like, yeah, they might have the big house and the, the BMW, but they're miserable people. And I'm like, that's just not the way the world's supposed to be. I, I, you know, who cares if you want to have two husbands? <laughs> who cares if you get off spanking each other or, you know, whatever. I thought the whole thing was consenting adults were supposed to do what consenting adults wanted to do. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yet there's so many people who come to me looking for permission. And so that was kind of how I wrote it. And I, I, I literally, I decided to self-publish and I literally wrote this book in three months. Wow. Um, and really? I decided, yeah, three months. And I decided it was the middle of June. I was still writing it. And I went to the woman who was helping me to self-publish it. And I, I said, I, I want this published because we're looking at the best times of year to have it kind of hit the market. And it was going to either be like, because of the type of book it was, it was going to be like, okay, it had to be like by mid-November. Otherwise, it was going to have to wait until spring because it wasn't the type of book that you want to publish during the holidays or right after the first of the year because that's all the self, you know, that's all the diet books and the, right, you know, this, right. And I'm like, oh, it'll get lost. And so it's got, it's got to be by the middle of November. It's got to be. And I, I told her, okay. And so she's like, okay, well, if we're backing it up, that means you've got to have the first draft done by the beginning of August so that we can get all these things done and get it published by the middle of November. I said, okay, it's the end of June. Yep. Don't you love it? (laughs) Like you you have a deadline. You're like, oh God, oh God. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, okay, great. I'll, I'll do it. And secretly behind my back, she's going to my editor and going, you know, there's no way she can do this. But don't tell her that. Let her think she can do it. And then when she can't by the beginning of August, we'll pat her on the back and tell her it's okay. And, you know, it'll be fine. But let her think she can do it. Oh, my. July 31st, I got it to the editor, all like the, the last chapter finalized. And then I called her. And I'm like, okay, now what? And she's like, you, you did it? Oh, that's so awesome. And I'm like, well, of course I did it. She's like, I never thought you could do it. I just told you that. I didn't think you'd actually do it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> of course I did it. Oh, that's so freaking awesome. Yeah. You're like, by the way, I did what I told you I was going to. Now, what's the exactly. second step? You know? <laughs> like, no, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah, she nearly fell over. <laughs> it was funny. That is so awesome. Yeah. And my husband and I got on a plane to go on a, a swinger cruise in the Mediterranean. And I brought along the copy I had because I'm going, okay, honey, you have to read this because I do kind of talk about our marriage a little bit. And I want to make sure whatever I talk about, you're okay with. Right, right. If there's something you really are unhappy, you don't like me printing, then I've got to redo it. So he read it on the plane to and from and occasionally on the ship. And he was fine with it. I'm like, all right, it's good to go then. Of course, I didn't let my mother read it ahead of time, but I... (laughs) Well, yeah, my mother hasn't read anything I've written either. So that well, uh, there's actually a little story in the book where I actually mention a story about my mother. Yes, yes, you did, right? Which my nieces, my adult nieces, thought was hilarious, and my mother was like, "Yeah, you had to put that in there, didn't you?" <laughs> like my grandchildren need to know this. I'm like, I love it, <laughs> mom. They're adults; they have kids of their own. I like, Ugh. right, right. Hmm. <laughs> I love what you brought up there. Uh, just the idea that like. Why is it we listen to people who will tell us, no, that's not what it is? Even if they don't use those words, there there are actions that will lead us to say, okay, maybe this isn't what I should do. Let me just sort of trot in place and become a stormtrooper, become as boring as a stormtrooper because I'm like everyone else. 
Yes. What I'll say to folks is uh, to other daddies out there, to mommies out there, to to uncles, to bigs, to littles, to middles, to everybody, even if you don't like a diaper, this is not a book about crinkling, though that could easily be factored into it. There is something in this book for everyone within our community, and I'll tell you why. Even I got something from this book, and it was actually um, at the very, it was, uh, It wasn't the wrap-up chapter, but it was like the next to last chapter. She asked a question. Rhoda asks a question in one of those exercises I was mentioning. And she asked the question, and I I read the question, and I stopped dead in my tracks. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I sat there, and I had to think about it. I did, in fact, come up with the answer. Um, it, It wasn't a lifelong question that I had an answer to, but suddenly I was like, wow. Should anybody have asked me, well, Zora, what's your take on this? Before I read this book, I wouldn't have had an answer. Now suddenly I do. There is something in here that will help you. And it's not saying start over with a new relationship. That's not what she's saying at all. She's saying, hey, take a look at this, read this, and perhaps there's something in there that will take the relationship that you've got and enhance it to a point or to a degree that it's not before. There's levels of communication. Everything's about communication. This book has something for absolutely every conceivable human being on this planet. I cannot, I cannot brag about this thing enough. And I'll tell you that it's not a difficult read. And for those of you that might think, well, I don't like to read. Guess what? Neither do I. I, I actually, as I was saying to Rhoda the other day, the last book that I read cover to cover was the autobiography of Dr. Benjamin Franklin. And I had to read it in college. And I wanted to gouge my eyes out by the end of it. I'm just not much of a reader, which is kind of horrible to say being an author, you know, but it's the truth. And I just moved here in Lancaster. I'm still in the county of Lancaster, but I just moved and I keep all of my kinky ABDL stuff in one box. That way people don't stumble across it who aren't supposed to. And when I moved, I opened that box. I got here to the new place, opened the box and I saw this book. And uh, that was before the cable company came the next morning and. Uh, hooked cable up so I would have TV. I didn't even have internet. And uh, there was one night, so I sat down, I turned the light on, and I started reading this book. I had had the book. Rhoda gave me this book like a year and a half prior to that. And I started to read it, and I discovered the same reason as to why I'm not a big reader. It's because I read slow. I took my time with it, and that's actually the reason why I wasn't doing this podcast with Rhoda back in June. Or actually, it would have been back in July. It's because it took me a little time to read, but I understood every word. I can almost quote things, and we're actually about to get into some questions <laughs> about it here. This book is so explanatory of things you may not even have thought about. Like, for instance, here's here's the question to ask you now, Rhoda. And I guess I knew this, but I sort of didn't at the same time. Uh, what is the difference between a fetish and a kink? Well, and and that's an excellent question because people use the words so interchangeably right uh that it becomes very confusing for people and i've always been a big believer that words and language are very important um and that using them correctly is very important because it's how we communicate with each other and, and do it well and people throw around the terms fetish and kink a lot and even when i was researching for this book uh, I found so many different meanings for both of these things that it was very difficult. Clinically, by clinical definition, a fetish is something that 
um, causes a, is an inanimate object or a non-genital body part that someone has a very strong sexual arousal to. Um, so you hear somebody ha- talking about like a foot fetish, uh, that feet are very sexually arousing to them. You know, shoes, usually high heels, right. um, leather. Uh, you know, the list can go on and on and, and diapers just become one of them. Um, to, you know, and for many people in the ABDL community, you know, diapers uh, in and of themselves, the, the feel of them, the, the smell of them, the sound of them, which is why a lot of people like the disposable diapers and the crinkle sound that they make. They, that sound is very arousing for them. And I often tell people, like, it's nice because you have this thing that you can depend on that you know is going to be arousing for you because, you know, as we age, some of that does change. Um, A kink is difficult to define because many people within the BDSM community will use kinks or or people, um, you know, and and it's something that's kind of really more BDSM related, whether it's it's more about. Um, dominant submissive or, or things like that. Or, or sometimes people will call fetishes kinks. And it's like, well, right. You know, if you're sexually aroused in an object, that's really more of a fetish by definition. Um, and there's a lot of things that are BDSM that uh, are more about the power dynamic or they're more about, um, giving pain or receiving pain. You know, and, and they're really more about that. And that's really just more about BDSM. And so as I'm trying to think about, like, well, what then really is a kink? And what I had to come down to was that kinks are things that are very unique sexual expressions that are not necessarily about an object like a fetish, that are not necessarily about power dynamic or giving or receiving pain like BDSM, but they're still very unique things. So like I gave the example of a woman who likes having a threesome with two bisexual men. You know, there's no inanimate object there. There's no real power dynamic as like in BDSM, but it's, you know, she likes not only the energy of having three people in that sexual relationship, but she likes that the men also enjoy being sexual with each other. Like she likes that energy. She likes the visualization of it. It's really more of a kink. Because it's a very unique thing. You don't hear, a, I mean, and I, of course, I know a lot of women who, who like that particular kink. But sure, in sure. general public, you don't meet a lot of women who will admit that they like having a threesome with specifically bisexual men. So it's it's more of a kink. This is some. It's I paused, and the reason I asked that question is because that was the one where I was like, wait a minute, what do I have? <laughs> And if somebody had said, well, Nate, you know, your thing, Zorro, is is this a fetish or a kink? I'd have been like, "Uh, yes, you know, (laughs) I didn't know. And as I read through it here, uh, there's one page, it's it's towards the tail end of the book, where you go through it and you're like, well, fetish is this and a kink is this. And you actually just expounded on it there. But when I got done reading that section and the question comes up, I was like, oh, yeah, I have a fetish. It's it's not a kink. I guess I could call it a kink, but I I would not be completely accurate. What I have is a fetish. I don't wear diapers. I I'm one of the daddy things, but fundamentally based on like how it was described there, I was like, yeah, it's a fetish. And I never would have been able to answer that before. 
Because sure. I, I would have said fetish and it could have been kink. Or what is it, kink? You know, a fetish, that's kind of kinky. Well, that doesn't explain anything. Uh, but there's uh, there's one or two questions here I wanted to ask you because these are things that you do get into in the book. Mm-hmm. But these are also things I'm sure that have been asked of you 8,604 times in some of the sessions and things that you have. Um, certainly you have been asked by people, why do I feel this way? And I'm certain that's a difficult question to answer, but if not impossible. I mean, everything is very individual. Well, you know, there's perhaps experiences. There's any number of answers. But I'm wondering, and I'd ask you the question, uh, I'm wondering about why people want to know where something has come from. Like, Why is that something that, that comes to their mind, and why is it they ask that question? What would they do with that information? Should they get the answer to the answer to why? Is it just curiosity, or is there value in finding out why you know, a person is the way they are. Is it curiosity or is it something else? Why does somebody ask you that? It's, it's not just ABDL people who ask that question. I think anyone who feels like they have things about them that are different often ask that question. Because we, we do live in a society where it's, it's, it's amazing. We live in a country where individuality is, you know, given this honor, like we're, we're rugged individualists. And yet we all want to be the same. There's so much pressure to conform and be the same. So ironic. So I think whether it's ABDL or any any number of other things, people often want to know why. You know, whether people who are gay or lesbian or bisexual want to know why. People who are transgender want to know why. People who really prefer open relationships to monogamy want to know why. Um, or their partner, their vanilla partner who's trying to wrap their head around it is like, well, why do they want that? You know, and I always want to look at the vanilla partner and I'm like, why do you want monogamy? Right. Why? And you know, and they'll give me some silly answer like, well, it's normal. Like, oh boy. There's no such thing as normal. (laughs) Like, you know, like, yeah. Like, you think it's normal because you've been told it's normal, not because that's necessarily your natural state. You know, and I always try and tell people, you know, when they ask me, well, well why do people become ABDL? And I, I often tell them, like, we, we really don't know. And I honestly believe that I really, you know, there's lots of things I've seen in various studies. And I, I think the answer is we really don't know. And I'm not sure we ever will. Um, because I think there's so many factors involved in various people's lives. You know, I reassure people it's it's not trauma. This is not because of some trauma that happened to you. Like I've seen people with horrible childhood trauma histories, some of whom who happen to become ABDL and others who never become ABDL. So clearly childhood trauma doesn't make you this way. I've seen plenty of people with no childhood trauma to speak of other than whatever trauma all of us have. Right, right. You know, but basically healthy, happy childhoods. And at some point it just starts for them and they can't explain it. And and I really can't either. My fear often is when people are really very fixated on, well, why am I this way? What causes? I have to know. It's like, what do you want to do with that information? Yeah. (laughs) Often when people are so stuck on the why, it's almost as if they're silently saying after it because then I can fix it. If I know why it happened, then I can somehow go back and fix it. And and it's convincing oh. people that there's not anything to fix. Right. 
Like you're not broken. That you, boy, you're we are. We're bro- all different. Yeah, we, we ought to make up T-shirts right there. You are not broken, okay? Don't walk into a situation thinking you are broken. Uh, and actually, I, I fixated is a good word to use. I put that one in there uh, because um, when I was in third grade, I met a girl who got mercilessly picked on because she was incontinent. And she did, in fact, wear a diaper. And she didn't have a voice. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like to think at that moment that I, I was the voice for the voiceless, which, which fills – you know, which fills oneself with, with a, a sense of purpose. And all this sort of leads up to what I like to call the daddy-tude. But <laughs> it's a sense of purpose. I would defend this girl with my fists sure. at given points in time. Like in high school, when you get into a fist fight, they suspend you and expel you or call the police if it gets bad. In third grade, they just pull you apart. <laughs> Thank God, yeah. you know, because I, I recall getting into a, a fairly vicious fight with the class bully who was indeed picking on this girl. And I would check in with this girl. And the teacher actually had this girl put right next to me. Like we sat side by side because she was shaky like a leaf. And apparently this had happened to her no matter what school she had gone to. Uh, and it suddenly was like, okay, let's get ready to go out to recess. I would turn to, turn to her and I would be like, do you have a coat? Because her family was very poor. And she would say, yes, it's almost like I was – uh, caregiving a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not what I, I, I termed it at the time. I didn't think of it that way. I was nine years old. Uh, but that would actually surface once again when I became a teenager. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, girls. I got it. Okay. Yep. I have interest in them now in a manner I didn't before. <laughs> yes, and things are growing, and boy, we're all happy. And instantaneously, in my mind, I put that girl in a diaper. Whoever the girlfriend was, the pet names that I used with some of my girlfriends prior to actually having like an ABDL girlfriend, uh, that was instantaneous. When I discovered um, ABDL online when I was in college, it was tail, very tail end of the 90s, uh, it's the first thing I looked for. I, ha- I hate to admit to it, but it's the first thing I looked for. Why do I feel this way? And I would stumble across a couple resources, nothing that was fantastic, but it would eventually – a trigger in my own mind, that girl back in third grade. That's when it started. It wasn't about her wearing a diaper. She could have been wearing, you know, a sailor suit. It, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, that's what it was. I took care of her. I defended her. Right. And I like to, I like to believe at least that was the origin or that, that was here's why I feel the way that I feel. If at some point it would ever be convinced of me, and I hate to admit to this, that no, that wasn't it, Zorro. That wasn't when it started. Instantaneously, I'd be one of those people asking you, "Well, if that's not it, why do I feel this way?" There's fixation is a great word for it because it's it has a very positive ring to it. I find that amazing. What would I do with it? Oh gosh, I don't know. But I know that I'd be yet another person sitting on your couch, being like, "Why?" You know. And I, I, uh, I guess there really isn't any law against curiosity against wanting to know a little bit more about one's self, that sort of thing. Like as I get older, I take a look at um, all of the medical conditions that the two or three generations older than me and my family have had. Chances are I might get one of those. That's why, or it's a possibility of why. And there are things I can do to, you know, to, to look out for that. Now that's a, that's a great example of changing something as opposed to here. The only thing that needs to be changed 
is her diaper when it gets wet. I like to think that's a good way of looking at it. Um, <laughs> but along those lines, you actually brought up the idea of, of a vanilla partner being like, why are they like this? Well, why are you, you know, why are you monogamous? That I'm sure is yet another question. And folks, that question I just asked there and this one, I bring them up specifically because Rhoda talks about these things in this book. No more hiding permission to love your sexual self. If these are questions you've got, you owe it to yourself to get this book. But the question I'm sure is asked of you a lot. How do I tell my vanilla partner? And that's another one that's almost impossible, I'm sure, to answer because you're different and your partner's different from, you know, the folks who were in here the 45 minutes prior to you. Like, it's a very individual thing. So instead of asking you that question, I thought perhaps I would ask the person who wants to ask you that question, what is something that, you know, they might be able to do in preparation? Uh, if they're considering telling their partner and they haven't yet, what's the first bit of advice you could give them? Like, okay, here's, you know, here are all the ducks you need to have in a row before you even consider it. What would, what, what would uh, some advice be? Well, and, and you're right, because there, there is no one size fits all for that. Um, and, and often people want this nice, perfect answer that, and I, I, I can't give them that. Um, but what I will often tell them is like, like, let's think about your partner because you clearly know your partner far better than I do. Um, and, and there are certain things I want you to think about, like before you bring this up, is there a particular reason you've been holding off on this for so long? Oh, like, like does your subconscious kind of know that this is really not safe to talk about with this person? Um, is your, is your partner somebody who always has to be right? Um, who always has to have everything their way. They're very controlling, very rigid. Like things have to be a certain way because, well, just because they think it has to be that way. Like sex has to be that way. The relationship has to be that way. Um, you know, people like that don't do well with anything alternative. So if you have a partner who's very rigid, very controlling, um, or has especially any type of personality disorders, what we call in psychology, you know, things like narcissistic personality disorder or um, borderline personality disorder, they're not usually real flexible people. Um, and this is not necessarily all of them. I won't, I won't say it's across the board, but generally speaking, if you're looking at people like that, I, you might really want to think very carefully about, do I bring this up? Especially if you're married and have children, because if your partner has this sort of scorch the earth mentality and you bring this unique thing up to them, they're not only probably going to turn on you. If they decide to divorce you, they're going to make your life a living hell. So why give them all this ammunition? Right. Why give them the fuel? <laughs> yeah. Why give them – find another good reason to divorce them that <laughs> anyway. maybe won't piss them off quite so much. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, and and go find somebody who's a bit more open-minded about things. Right. Um, now, oftentimes, you know, there are the exceptions of – if you have someone who's just maybe – a bit traditional, not rigid, but just traditional, and the relationship is important enough to them, now they may be able to surprise you. Uh, I certainly have seen cases where people who have been pretty traditional in the way they've thought about things, 
if the relationship is important enough and you explain this to them in a way that can, can help them make sense of it, sometimes those traditional minded people are willing to think outside the box if it means they get to keep the relationship. Right. That's a really healthy, as it, we speak of health again, that's a really healthy way of looking at it. When I entered into it all, I, I sort of had the thought in my head, like, okay, here's, here's the kind of person I'm right for. Like, sure. I'll, give, I'll give it the pros. Like, like, I'm not even necessarily worried about the person who's right for me. Let me just go down the route of saying, here's who I'm right for. And uh, here's what I can bring. Like, I'll never go near BDSM, at least not the, the physical stuff, because I have a very weak stomach. That's the excuse that I use. It's truth, but it's also the excuse to not <laughs> wanting to do it. But if there's a girl who would say, you know, we have this wonderful dynamic relationship. Notice I use both words there. Like, <laughs> like if you have that and she's like, yeah, I like to be spanked. Just standing there and be like, well, you know, I have a weak stomach. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Well, that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense along the, the lines of it's not to say the, uh, the relationship, uh, you know, you're only showing that that the relationship is important to you if you actually try this. That's not necessarily the case. But it also doesn't mean, you know, that uh, a, a relationship uh how no, how would I word it? The idea of that rigidity. Like yeah, being rigid doesn't show that something means something to you. I I would almost be led to say that that's you showing how much you don't care. Right. You know what? You know, I would, Daddy, I would like to try spanking. I'd be like, okay, we're both going to be trying this. Okay. I'd be <laughs> honest about it. I don't know as I necessarily would say no. It wouldn't be on the top of the list. But that's a good point. Like what, particularly if you got a, a, a couple, and I could be dead wrong here, but if you've got a couple coming to you for counseling, obviously, you know, they both sort of, to whatever level of, of, of equality, find the relationship to be important enough to go to somebody to help them with it. Hearing, okay, here's what, here's something you might want to, you know, begin to bring into things. Uh, and that would appease the one side that would help the one side. You would think that to be something that the partner would, uh, would at least entertain. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to say yes. I often find that to be a, a tough situation when people say something to me about that. I, I don't get a whole lot of, messages uh, but when folks message me i don't go running around and speaking about it however this one the the the, the girl like had a he was the the boyfriend of this girl was uh, about as vanilla as vanilla could be <laughs> he was probably born right out of the out of a, a vanilla plant uh and she really wanted to say this to him i was like i gosh i wish i had any level of understanding or experience or anything to offer to you i really don't all that I could say is I hope that, you know, that he cares enough at least to listen. Doesn't mean he has to say yes. Right. But along the, along those, those lines, of all the ABDL people that you have counseled, you have mentioned three earlier. I'm sure there have been more. Has there been a recurring concern or issue that they share with you? Like, is there something where, okay, I've got an ABDLer and they're a lot of fun and they're very animated and whatnot. Is there something where it's like a typical? stereotypical let's say abdler comes to you and you're ready for this concern or issue because you've heard it before you know i would say and, and you're right there's certainly been a lot more than three i think at this point after about going on 11 years it's professionally it's somewhere in the range of 60 to 70 people 
which to put in context, I know in some ways they're like, well, that's not that many. Um, it actually is, though. Holy it, cow. It, well, it, it really is because I know therapists with 20 and 30 year professional careers who some of which have never had a single ABDL, at least admit to them that they were in their in their practice. Um, and most commonly when people tell me they have worked with somebody, maybe in that length of time, it's two to three people. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like it's it's rare for me to meet any therapists around the country who've had more than that. Um, there, I'm sure there probably are who maybe have had like five to ten, but it's very rare. And I'm, I'm sure part of it is because people know me around the country and I, I even get requests from people around the world. So, right. um, yeah, so which is probably why I've had so many because I, I am literally known for it. Um, and then I've talked with probably hundreds of people at various conventions, you know, not professionally, but people come up and they, they talk to me and they tell me their stories. And so I learn so much from people about it. And, I, I think probably the most common thing is that sense of acceptance and that sense of how do I deal with these strong emotions that I feel, this this fear, this shame, this embarrassment, like how do I deal with this? And it's probably the most common thread. Not everybody I see, we're dealing with that every time. I mean, right. I have some people who just want someone that maybe we're just dealing with their anxiety and stress at work and other aspects of their life. And they just want somebody who they don't, if, if diapers come up, they don't have to get that shocked look on some <laughs> right new, newbie therapist's face of like, what are you talking about diapers? <laughs> like we can just kind of, if it just flows in and, you know, so, I mean, I certainly have plenty of people like that where we're just dealing with the general everyday things of their lives and, you know, and then especially if they're really stressed out, I'll, I'll look at them and like, all right, how often are you wearing? Are you wearing to bed at night? Like, right. Like, well, I haven't been as good lately as I should. I'm like, well, you know, you need to wear more because that'll help with your stress. <laughs> right. And that's, yeah. that's something they can control. I have a friend who uh, lives about an hour south of here, says it's the first thing he does when he comes home every day. Right. And he'll never run out. He's got a diaper room. It's an entire room. <laughs> Like it's wall to wall. He had kinds I of diapers it. in there I've never seen before. I was like, "What is that?" He says, "Oh yeah, that was the pot leaf diaper or whatever." Apparently, they did. They made a. They, <laughs> they, they, they made a cut of these things, and he got one. It's oh. not made of pot leaves. It just has. No. You know, the, the, I was gonna say, was that when pot became legal in Colorado and Washington? I'm willing to bet. Paper in I'm, celebration. I'm willing to bet that way the ABDLers can be a part of it, right? I know. I, I I get that all the time because, you know, it became legal here in Colorado years ago. And people are like, oh, that must be great for you. I'm like, you don't understand. I've never smoked pot in my life. Right. <laughs> like, what? Like, it's, it's true. I never have. You know? I'm sure a lot of folks are happy or, or very relaxed like or I, whatnot, but it's not like a statewide party, you know? <laughs> no, it's, it's really not. I mean, I did yeah, vote for it. You know, right. like, consenting adults, they can do what they want. But Surely, but. surely. Well, you know, you actually mentioned three of them there. Uh, you said fear, shame, and uh, embarrassment. The embarrassment. other, the other one being guilt. And when you take those four and put them all together, they are uh, uh, the big four emotions, as you term them here in the book. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who go to, let's say, to to a therapist or whatnot, and you're like, you know, I have these 
these feelings. I, I've got this fear. I've got this shame. I've got this guilt. I've got this embarrassment. She talks about that in this book. And that actually, that chapter I went back through. It, you actually touch on it in several chapters. But that section I went back through because there's a, a, a specific uh, page or two or three about each one of them. And I think that's what they are. Fear, shame, embarrassment, and guilt. The only one that we're born with is fear. Is that right? Yeah, fear is an, an innate emotion. Like we all are born with fear. And and fear can be a very good emotion. It can be a, a protective emotion. It keeps us from doing stupid things like going to the edge of a cliff and looking over and not being careful about falling over. Right. Um, or if you know, you're walking down the street and some big angry dog comes up and is snarling at you. You're going to, you're going to step back because you don't know this dog and you don't know, is it going to bite me or is it just barking and going to then suddenly get friendly and want to lick me? You know, so you step back because it's, it's, it's a protective thing and it, it can be good. Um, the problem is that fear can get stuck and then we're fearful of so many things. Well, along those lines, what are some typical causes of the big four? Like, for instance, fear. I am fearful of bats and needles, okay? Yeah, I, but those make sense. What, so if a bat had a needle and was chasing me, I would need counseling. So you need to keep me – keep 4 <laughs> o'clock every Friday open because I'm going to need it. Bring snakes into it. It's all over. But uh, oh, yeah. what, like – um. What is it that brings – I'm not just walking along one day thinking, wow, I'm shameful about this. My head kind of tells me that would need to be implanted in my brain, wouldn't it? Well, or is that not the case? I mean, I think many of us learn shame at young ages. Um, often family of origin or our caregivers use shame as a way of trying to control us when we're little. Oh. Um, you know, people will say, oh, shame on you. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't think that. You shouldn't oh. act that way. You know, you think about people in your life, whether it's you know, like a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a parent, a school teacher, these people who have at that point in our lives, they're they're huge to us. And and when they say that, it, it makes a, a mark. Shame is that sense of like somehow you are bad. It's not just that you did a bad thing. It's you are bad. Just your very being. Oh, yeah, and yeah. When, and when younger, the mind is like a sponge. Yeah, you just, you just suck all of that right in. You just suck that right in, and it people take that in at very deep levels, and it's shame is incredibly powerful and very very damaging. Um, not just psychologically. I mean, physically, like deep levels of shame can cause uh, cardiac issues. Um, immune issues, like shame is, can be very powerful and detrimental to us. I get it with fear. Okay. Fear isn't necessarily always negative. It isn't necessarily always bad. Like, yeah, I'm, if there's a snarling dog, I'm not going near it. Cause right. maybe it's snarling at the bat that's chasing me with the syringe. That's but right. I, but I don't know that. So fear is a good thing. Is there such a thing as examples of shame, embarrassment, and guilt that also aren't necessarily bad? Before you answer, my head's going to say, no, there's no such thing. But then again, I don't know. Is there a, a positive example of those things, or is that? Shame, I would say no, because cause shame is so much of that 
like you're just not good as a person shame no and unfortunately the people who probably need the most feeling ashamed of themselves aren't oh, you know that's true that's, <laughs> yeah boy that's a um, good point actually <laughs> yeah um so shame i would say no there's really not any good examples or ways that it works for us um you know embarrassment it, i guess if that's somebody's thing if they enjoy humiliation and embarrassment i sure. guess I, I suppose that makes good sense particularly yeah. if it's a well that would oh god what would it be would it be a fetish or a king <laughs> so I, so I'd have to think a, about that. Quite more of a kink. Okay, thank God. Good. Or, or I guess it could be a little BDSM-ish because it kind of gets into power play. Right. Yeah, I know it. It can be really tricky sometimes with these things. This um, is what, you, what that means is you need to write um, the sequel. Oh. Oh dear God. But we'll give you we'll give you a little bit of time to recover from this one. Uh, oh, thank you. Yes. You've got a gem and a half in this sucker. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, there are some... really, folks, I did not pay him to say this. Oh, no, 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 no. I kid you not. I, I don't like reading people. I really don't. And this is the first book that I have read in my 20. How old am I? I got to do the math. It's the first book that I've read in 22 years. I don't like reading. And I sat down with this thing and I had to read it a little at a time. As I've explained, I'm a, I am a slow reader. The process of, of absorbing it. But just within the first few pages, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is some good stuff. And son of a gun, if I didn't find something that related to me by the end of it. There's actually several things in there that related to me. But another question that somebody told me to ask you was – and let me see if I can get the wording right. I'm actually not going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you something very close to it. Uh, the question to ask was, how did you go about finding a therapist who would welcome you as an ABDLer? And my thought was, well, okay, I'm not going to ask – a therapist herself, you know, about this, but you've all, there's only so many hours in the week and not every ABDLer could get to you. So the question I wanted to ask you about was, would you be comfortable in telling me a little bit about the AASECT? And let me see if I can remember what it stands for. I believe it is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors and Therapists. Is that right? Correct. Woo! Okay. Yes. Would that be a good resource for folks to tap into if they've got this thing? Because as we all know, there's nothing more personal uh, to someone, something, nothing more private to someone than ABDL, aside from traumas or horrible things that happen to them. Like that's different too. People harbor that. But I don't go running all over the place. My mother knows that I write erotic books. She doesn't know what they're about. And she's never going to. That's the way that works. But there are um, a lot of folks that are like, okay, I do need to speak to a therapist about this. It's a very bold, difficult thing, I would assume, for folks to go and spill their guts to somebody they really don't know, just somebody that has credentials on the wall. Now, it's even more intimidating to explain to this person with the credentials on the wall that you like diapers. It's right. not an easy thing. So if somebody has that, and if your schedule's full... How might they go about finding someone? Is that a good resource, the the AASECT, or is there another uh, another way they might go about finding someone? Um, it's it's one of two that I usually recommend to people, um, and and not everybody who's um, in ASECT is necessarily going to be a good choice. Um, I I mean I did do a presentation for therapists at at one of the national ASECT 
conventions um, a few years ago um, to try and help educate therapists more. Um, and thankfully that class was full. Uh, I was very happy because I was afraid, oh, they're not going to come. Are you kidding me? But, you, you taught the class, therefore people are hanging from the ceiling. Well, but you know, I can they, confirm. I can. They didn't know me that well. Like I'm just one of the little people in ASIC. So oh. like I don't I'm not a big name in ASIC. But um but thankfully it was full because people were interested. Sure. And um so but you know, again it's it's kind of looking at it's it's a place to start because at least they have training in sexuality and, and ASIC is like the premier sex therapist, sex educator professional site in the country like it's the gold standard and it's it's a lot of work to get asex certified it's a huge amount of work to get asex it's not an easy thing you just pay your money and they give you a certification no to have asex certification actually means something um, because (laughs) they make you work your behind off for it Um, there's a whole long list of different things you've got to be have taken classes in and you need to know about and um, unfortunately, AB Dale is not one of them. Gah. But yeah, yet, I, I'll work, I'll work on changing that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, okay. But it's a good place to start and and kind of look at their profiles and be like, okay, do they do they talk about um, working with people who are BDSM or who have kinks or who have fetishes? Like, is that something they talk about? That's probably going to be somebody I would say, oh maybe look into if their main focus is um sexual functioning issues for traditional heterosexual couples maybe not so much right (laughs) there are actually some rather conservative people in asex so it's it's kind of you do have to tweak it out a little bit the other group i often send people to is um, the national coalition for sexual freedom which they've they really focus on um, the BDSM community, open relationships, the kink communities, um, and um, advocating for them. Uh, they have legal resources for people who have legal problems. They have a list of therapists and professionals around the country on their website who specialize in various things of, you know, BDSM or kinks or fetishes or things like that. So I often send people there, but you know, they, they're a small organization, so they don't necessarily always have a large list. I am working with some people that hopefully someday in the near future, we will actually not only have a training course for therapists to teach them how to work with APDL and age play and the whole nine yards of that and, and have some sort of like, certification to be able to say that they're competent to work with the community, um, but then also a list of therapists around the country and, and hopefully around the world who have taken the course and, you know, we can say at least have a basic level of competency on it. Right. Uh, hopefully someday we will have that. I and mean, It's probably going to take a few years, but someday. <laughs> someday. Hey, Some- and, and it is, uh, it is well on the way. That's a good thing. And, and that's uh, it is in the works. Yeah. It is in the works. And that's very much because of people like you. But I'm not to that question yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this one I stumbled across in the book and it, I find it is interesting. I'm not shocked by it, but you actually put a twist to it in the thing. And well, I kind of want to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, it was I can't remember the page number now, but uh, it was something along lines that you said that 
it seems there are more men who enjoy fetishes than women. It's sort of like the idea of like when you get on a dating site online, there's tons of females – or I'm sorry, there's tons of males on there, but there's like that rogue female every now and again who signs up and gets blasted with 150 messages and then deletes the profile and goes away. There's, there always seem to be more men in, in, you know, involved in things, uh, but there's no exact reason that is known as to, as to why. What would your guess be as to the reason? Is is it just something fundamentally different uh, between men and women, or or might it might it be something else? I would say there's two parts of that. The first part I think is in many ways men and women are not that different. It's the big differences between men and women are how we're raised, like socially, like how society treats us when we're growing up. Our families often treat us and and train us of how, how we're supposed to be as well as the differences in the amount of hormones. Testosterone is a very powerful hormone. And while men have more of it than women have, because women have testosterone as well, individuals vary. So individual men vary on how much testosterone they have. Individual women vary on how much testosterone they have. And generally, people with higher amounts of testosterone of either gender tend to have stronger sex drives. Like, oh. Okay. Generally speaking, there are other variables that figure into that too. But it also, I think it is partly the socialization. Women are often, as little girls, socialized to think about romance and the kind of happy ever, they lived happily ever after and, you know, no concept of what actual sex might look like. But, you know, it was very romantic and he brought her flowers and it was also sweet and, Makes me want to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. And, um, you know, men, boys are more encouraged to think about sex in this behavior that's about pleasure and it's about fun and it's about eroticism where girls often are not taught to think that way. And if they naturally have more of that, they, it's discouraged. And let's face it, there's a lot of very nasty names that women get called. Right. Um, when we are considered to be what society would say is overtly sexual. Right. Um, I've probably been called all of them, but, uh, <laughs> oh my. but yeah, so I think that's a big part of it is, is that it's, it's easier for men to be, to accept that they have fetishes, to accept that these very sexualized images are appealing to them. I think the other thing is that there are actually a lot of women who have fetishes, but over the years, the sexuality researchers have been traditionally older white heterosexual men. And older white hmm. heterosexual men couldn't quite fathom women having fetishes. So unless it was blatantly in their face, they didn't see it. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my. Right. All kinds of stuff's got to change here. I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> I, and, you know, you yourself could go in like there's there's a bunch of different directions because there's a, there's a lot of folks that you've spoken with. And I know that I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, and, and I want you to, to, you know, to correct me on it so that I'm getting it right. You have chosen to focus in a little more so on ABDL. And then there was another one. Yeah, the other focus is actually open relationships. There we go. Okay. Yeah. What led you to 
this decision. Because here's another thing to remember, folks. She could have chosen anything to focus in on. We're one of the two that she did, or actually in, in a great many situations, we're both of them. She could have gone any direction, but she chose us. This is why we love Rhoda. So that being said, <laughs> uh, what led you to that decision? Um, I mean, I think ABDL was, was an easy choice for me. Like I said, I think it chose me more than I chose it, but it was a very easy choice when it was like right there in front of me. I'm like, oh, well, duh. You know, I just, I love working with members of this community and I, you know, I like, I, I get it. I, you know, I've had people cause I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not technically an ABDL. Um, though, um, another podcast, I guess I probably shouldn't mention your competition. Oh no, um, please do. Please but, do. But love and brief. And, oh yeah. Um, we, oh, yes. we love them. They're fabulous. And, and last, this past year in March, it, I was at Capcom and they had a live broadcast that I stayed to be on. And, and afterwards they sent me this lovely little medal. I have to grab it because I have to make sure I say it right. But they sent me this little medal in the mail afterwards and it has my name on it and it says honorary ABDL lifetime award. I love it. Oh, and I was absolutely blown away. I was just like, Oh my God, that is the sweetest thing ever. Um, but I've just had so many people from the community tell me like, you get it. You get us. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't necessarily explain why I, I do, but I, you're right. I do. It, it makes perfect sense to me. And I get it. It's not my thing. You know, I could probably put on a diaper and go, okay. Right. Whatever. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's not going to do anything for me. But, you know, now when I've, it's been my focus for quite a while now, for quite a number of years. Uh, open relationships came a little more recently. As therapists, we're trained to put all of our attention and all of our focus on our clients and, and we're, we're really taught not to not to talk about ourselves at all. Um, it's, it's all about the other person. To a point, I agree with that. Um, the problem is that when you have people coming in to see you and they're they're spilling their guts about very sensitive personal things in their lives, it's kind of hard for them if they feel like they know nothing about you. Right. And they start to look at you like you're not a regular person who also has their own problems and issues. You know, I often have people look at me like, oh, you're a sex therapist. You must have the best sex life ever. I'm like, oh, oh, my. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> there are moments. You know? Right. right. There, there are moments. Um, but then, you know, I, I have to tell them, like, every human is going to have some sort of sexual functioning problem in their lifetime. We all do. That hmm. that is that's the definition of normal. <laughs> so every penis owner at some point is going to have erection difficulties or ejaculation difficulties whether it's faster than they want or slower than they want. They're going to have desire issues whether the desire feels like it's out of control and it's so high or it suddenly disappeared and they're like, where did it go? <laughs> um, right. And every vulva owner is going to have lubrication issues. She's going to have, you know, desire issues, pain issues. You know, we all have it at some point. It, that is the definition of normal. So to say just because I'm a sex therapist that I have like the perfect sex life. Oh my God. No, that's not the case. Right. Um, 
And so I, I came to a realization a few years because I, I worked with people with open relationships because I promote it, but I often wouldn't really talk a lot about my own experience. And I finally, I think it was even before I wrote the book, I finally realized, wait a minute, what am I doing? Like, I have the trifecta on this topic. Like on, like on ABDL, I have the academic knowledge and I have the clinical knowledge. And that's two out of three, and it's, it's pretty good. But in open relationships, I not only have the academic knowledge and the clinical knowledge, I have the personal knowledge. Right. I have lots of friends who have various types of open relationships, some family members. I've had front row seats to not only their pros and cons, but my own. And no book or no amount of working with people are going to teach you some of the subtleties that you know from experiencing it. Even if you are completely wanting this and you're completely consenting to it, that first time you watch your own beloved flirt, kiss, and have sex with someone else right in front of you. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, there's emotions right. that go on. That you're like, I'm not jealous. I know <laughs> this person's not leaving me. I'm perfectly content in that. I, I've agreed to this. I'm okay with it. But damn, this feels so weird. <laughs> right. And you can't teach that in a book. Right. There are some things that only experience can teach. Yeah, that really only experience can lead. And so I, I learned that, you know, I still make it as much as possible all about the person. But there are times I will share things about my own life because then they get an idea that I really understand what they're going through and how they feel. Yeah. Because I get it on more than just this intellectual level. Whew. You just get more awesome by the minute. This is this is great stuff. I'm going to call Resonant Yes, and I'm going to tell him the next time there's Capcom, he needs to do the love and brief again, and, and you need to be sitting there as emeritus. You need to be like the third <laughs> the third on that. They um, are so sweet. They are so good. Yeah, they, they are really wonderful. And I for, recommend them to couples all the time. And I kid you not, they um, – they, it's every other week they put one out or at points in the year it's it's every week but um they're not like massively long and that's by design sometimes they're 30 or 40 minutes and they cover a plethora of topics their names are resident oh. yes and road not taken but as she often says contact him because he'll get back to you <laughs> like you contact her it'll be months later she finally sees the thing uh, yeah the name of their podcast is love in brief and i cannot recommend it enough really really I Wonderful people, wonderful content. Um, but uh, well, clearly, just based on the answer you gave me there, it is obvious that you are passionate about what you do, and there are many, many reasons for that. And you've explained some of them there, and I'm sure there are more. But let me ask you the question: What is the greatest reward about doing what it is that you do? What's the one thing? And maybe there isn't like a greatest one of all. But if there is, what would that greatest reward be? What's the one thing you're like, yes, you know, you know what I mean? What what do you get from it that's uh, that that has that level of satisfaction? I think it is seeing people finally getting to that point of acceptance and feeling okay with themselves, and you know that they still don't occasionally struggle with a little fear or embarrassment, but that for the most part they really move past it, and just to see them flourish in that way 
and and to just be so comfortable in themselves. I think I mentioned earlier about the couple I'd um, really encouraged them to go to Capcom and it just, you know, completely changed their marriage. And they they're they're actually both now getting involved in the community and, um, you know, it just it made such a difference. And to see both of them there. Um, you know, like by the third day and they're walking around and you can just tell by the looks on their faces, they were just so happy and having the best time. And it, it brought them together in, in, in such an amazing way, uh, that it was, it's things like that are just, it's, it's worth everything to, to be able to give that to somebody and help them find it. I, I don't really give it to them. They they find it in themselves, but I just kind of guide them and let them know it's okay. Right. There's a sense of not just a validation for how they feel at the beginning, but also how they feel at the end. And there is yeah. a guide. And there there are many guides that we find along the way. And the ones that really help us the most, those are the ones that, you know, just the mere thought of it is something that, uh, that, that kind of puts a smile on our faces a little bit because there's a lot of folks that try to help along the way. And it's not that we take a look at them and say boo hoo or, or, or fully on you or, or, you know, whatever. But there are some people I'm willing to bet that couple is like, you know, should it should anyone have an issue? Should anyone have something you're like, gosh, I want to talk to somebody. Rhoda is the first word coming out of their mouths. <laughs> they said, plus, here's the email address, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but before we do get to contact information, I wanted to say two words to you, Rhoda. <clears throat> I'm going to make sure I get the words correct here. <sighs> I'll clear the throat. The words are thank you. Thank you very much for caring. Thank you very much for putting your heart into something. Thank you very much for recognizing a community that really needed somebody like you. Somebody who could help us through every little quirky moment that we have. Uh, every little, uh, gathering that may not necessarily have gone the way that we wanted, that we put our hearts into it and, and that can somehow get to us. But thank you for, thank you for continuing to help us to understand that we're not alone. Thank you for continuing to help us to understand that we're not broken. And thank you for helping people, uh, figure out what to do with strong emotions. And help, helping people to understand why they feel the way that they feel by just giving them the info, such as in this book. There are other people in this world like you. I'm absolutely certain. I just haven't met them yet. And it doesn't mean that I won't. It just means that I haven't yet, which is why I gush about you. And this book, this book is something I... Well, you actually wrote my name in the front of it, so I'm not going to be loaning this thing out to people. I'm keeping it. Okay. But uh, I, I will continuously recommend this book. I'm actually going to see to it that several copies of this gets into the raffle at the next TeddyCon as well, because this is something people need to read. It's something that helps them. And you didn't have to do any of this. I understand it's not the woes of self-publishing, but I do understand Verizon is very happy because I – I sell ebooks, but uh, the ebooks aren't making me a millionaire. Mm. And yeah, th- there is a th- that is a milestone to get to, and that does happen. Stephen King is an example of that, though he doesn't write. He doesn't write about diapers. <laughs> Never, nevertheless, um, I, I understand those those thoughts of my gosh, I just put a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this thing, and 
even if you don't see the return in that regard, rest assured there are tons of people who have uh, whose lives have been altered by you, been made better by you, and you continue to give selflessly. You continue to give with all the heart in the world, and I really, really wish that, that people would pause and take a look at you and understand the brilliance that you have and do their able best to give and give until it hurts. That's the idea of masochism. Like you hurt yourself and <laughs> you enjoy that. Well, that's what you do. You give until it hurts and then you give some more. And on behalf of myself, on behalf of this community, thank you. And please don't ever stop <laughs> because we love you dearly. Oh, thank you. You're, you, you and the community are very welcome. It, it, I going to the conventions and seeing everybody and working with this community is, is, such a great joy for me and I often feel like I get more back than I give but it's it's always good to hear that yes and you're going to continue to hear it <laughs> and we're going to keep saying it because it is the truth but let's say uh just let's say somebody listened to this podcast and they're like who is Dr. Rhoda Lipscomb and then they just heard all this stuff and let's say they do want to get in touch with you they want to reach out to you what are some good ways for folks to get in touch with you well, the, probably the easiest and the most efficient way would be just to send me an email. Uh, my email address is Rhoda, which is R-H-O-D-A, at drrhoda.com. My website, if people wanted to look at my website, and you can see all the different podcasts I've been on and find those sites to listen to them. And, and this one will be on there as soon as it's finished. Um, <laughs> and that's just drrhoda.com. It's easy. I try to make it easy. And I did finally this spring make a FetLife profile because people have been going, aren't you on FetLife? Like, yeah, I should be, shouldn't I? I, I guess I should do that. And so I chose a profile name oh. <laughs> based on, on what my husband initially teased me about calling me. And so my profile name on FetLife is The Diaper Doctor. I love this. So that's so freaking awesome. Yeah. Because a few years ago, he's like, you realize you're going to become known as the diaper doctor. And I looked at him like, I can't think of anything else I'd prefer. Like, <laughs> that is so I'm cool. going to be known for something. I might as well be known for this. Oh, like, my gosh. So if that's what they put on my tombstone, then I will. It will be a life well lived. I will be very happy with that. That is so cool. <laughs> I love it. So yes, it's just the diaper doctor. The and diaper doctor. Out. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So uh, they can contact you uh, there at the website. The website is drrota.com, and then of course on FetLife, it's the diaper doctor. But now I do want to tell folks once again uh, about this wonderful, wonderful book that you've written. It is entitled "No More Hiding: Permission to Love Your Sexual Self," and it is written by Rhoda Lipscomb, L-I-P-S-C-O-M-B. If you get on Amazon and just type in there, No More Hiding, or type in Rhoda Lipscomb, this book pops up. You can get it in ebook form, which would be Kindle, because it's Amazon, and then you can also get it in paperback. And for those of you who may not necessarily have a, an Amazon Kindle, you're not out of luck. You could probably Google it faster than, you know, 40 something Zorro Daddy. But you can come across a Kindle app. You can put that app on your phone. You can put that app on your laptop. You might even be able to put it on a smart TV for all I understand. 
But once you do that, it doesn't matter what your device is because you can download and then, of course, read a Kindle book. And um, I want to make sure that I didn't forget anything because we had a nice long list here. We got through it all, too. Yes. And if somebody really is, you know, can't sleep some night and wants to read my doctoral dissertation, uh, you can actually get it. You can actually read it on um, the understandinginfantilism.org website. Oh, it's on Bitter Grace site. It's on Bitter Grace that I'd used so many of his surveys in my research, and that was such the gold mine. It saved my ass so much um, that when I finished it, I sent him a, a note and I sent him a digital copy of it and let him know that if he if he would want to, I would be honored to have it on his website, and he does have it posted on his website. So excellent. I will make sure that understanding infantilism. I will make sure that also gets into the notes about the show. Yeah, uh, bitter gray. Bitter people gray. want to read it. You know, yeah. it's it's great if you have insomnia in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, no, it's it's likely there's something in there that'll that'll register with a lot of folks too. Bitter gray started that site. Oh God, back in the 90s, I think, and he oh, created okay. he created these surveys, and I don't even know how many different people have filled it out. I filled it out at one point. It was one of the first sites that I came across. And that's another uh, wealth of knowledge. And actually, that was a very smart idea to go to him, too. Uh, plus, you can then you can read Dr. Rhoda's dissertation, which she wrote about us. She could have written about anything, but she wrote about us. So all this information, all those links, the whole nine yards, you'll be able to get in touch with Rhoda. Well, I wanted to say thank you very much, Rhoda, for having been on here. And I do look forward to seeing you at TeddyCon. And uh, I do believe if they're having one next year, I am headed out to CapCon as well. And who knows, maybe someday I'll meet you at uh, the Broncos Stadium there when the Chiefs are coming to play. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, to one and all, I thank you very much for listening to this episode. And as always, at the end of every episode... I'd like to end with a statement that's a little something sweet. And that little something sweet sounds a little something like this. There are always dreams to be dreamt, fairy tales to be told, happily ever afters to be pursued, memories to be made, that constant yearning to find completion, that greatest passion yet to be found, that deepest love yet to be discovered, that perfect story to be written, and the opportunity awaiting to feel it all again and again. Blessings to you all. Until next time, take care.